Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, everybody. Sam and Dennis are here at Project Quantum Leap. We Hello. are joined once again by Jessica Conger. Hello, Jessica. Hi, guys. Uh, Welcome back. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for coming. I guess back. it's been a while. Yeah, it's been it's it's been a few episodes. It's, it has been a few episodes. It feels like it's been a while in general because it's, it's been a we've taken a week off of almost 40. two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So it is it is nice to be back. It is. It really is, yeah. Um, as we are sitting here, it is Wednesday, October 25th. Mm-hmm. Um, the main reason I bring that up is because the episode will drop on Halloween. And uh, even though we are here to talk about the Kamikaze Kid, um, we did a, a little Facebook poll. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook and Instagram. To see about possibly jumping out of order mm-hmm. um, to address an episode... Whose title I will not say. Oh, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. So yeah, so we put out a poll like, should we do the Kamikaze Kid episode or the Halloween episode since we're dropping directly on Halloween? And and most people who chimed in say just just stick with order, uh, just stick in the order, and yeah. do and do uh, Kamikaze Kid. Uh, Jessica, you have not seen the Halloween episode. I have not. No. The reason why it's called the Halloween episode, <laughs> in case you were curious, mm-hmm. um, is. There is this uh, lore about the episode that when it aired, there were a record number of... I don't know how they reported this back in 1991, but there were a record number of uh, failings of VCR timers set to record the episode, failing to record it. <laughs> and I think one local affiliate, like their, their broadcast of the episode went crazy. Uh, and then it happened again when NBC aired the rerun sometime later on. So there's some kind of curse that goes along with the episode. And I don't know how this got tied into it, but you're not supposed to say the title of the episode out loud. It's Quantum Leap's <laughs> Scottish Play. It really is. Um, but the title of the episode, because I don't care, I don't believe in superstition, the title of the episode is Boogeyman. <laughs> Boogeyman, Boogeyman, Boogeyman. I don't care. Be careful going <laughs> home tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite stories ever. Uh, this is probably back in 97, I think. Um, so it's after the show had stopped airing. Uh, I was on one of the message boards for the TV show, probably on AOL. And people were talking about how they wouldn't... Not only would they not say the name of the episode, but they would only watch it when it actually aired because mm-hmm. they were afraid to record it because people had said that when they recorded it on a videotape and they put the videotape in their VCR, it would either eat the tape or it would ruin the VCR. Mm. I mean, who knows? Completely apocryphal. But I do I remember reading posts where people were talking about, I taped the episode and, it, you know, it ate the tape or it, it fried my VCR and all this crazy stuff. Mm. So there is this sort of weird mythology surrounding that specific episode. Uh, it's Kamikaze yeah. Kid. Uh, mm-hmm. So we have uh, gotten through the bulk of season one. 
Um, we have two episodes left, the Kamikaze Kid and the next one played against Seymour. Um, let's go ahead and, and, and dive in with our, our usual here. Um, the Kamikaze Kid was written by Paul Brown, directed by Alan J. Levi. It aired on May the 10th, 1989. Our leap date is June 6th, 1961 yep. in Pomona, California. And uh, Sam is left into Cameron Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, our... What, what, what is the TV Guide excerpt? Yeah. <clears throat> As a Van Nuys, California teenager in 1961, Sam, Scott Bakula, asks not what he can do for his woeful acne problem, but what he can do for the... I, Jesus <laughs> I can't. Christ. I can't. What? I can't. What? Uh, I'm leaving that in. I'm not even going to edit that out because that's just hilarious. <clears throat> Pardon me. Okay, Sam asks not what he can do for his woeful acne problem but what he can do for the idealistic sister who's about to marry her boorish, hot-rodder boyfriend. So there you have the TV guy. Oh, oh, wait, right. boorish? Boorish. Okay. Yeah, boorish. I wouldn't describe him as that. Well, you know, I mean, a little bit. I don't know. Uh, so the leap scene, he's, 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 he's leapt into Cameron while he's behind the wheel of a car, mm-hmm. driving fast. And, um, but not as fast as the other guy. But not as fast as the other guy. <laughs> that is true. Uh, and um, doesn't win. Has a uh, cigarette hanging out of his mouth, which leads to a funny moment where you know Sam spits mm-hmm. a cigarette out, coughing, hacking. So you know Sam says no to cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, takes a look in the the car side mirror and uh, gets his first glimpse at Cameron Wilson, who mm-hmm. is indeed an acne plagued braces wearing teenager Mm -hmm. um and uh which is kind of fun to see somebody younger because i think he's either left into somebody who's about his age or older so to see a kid was kind of and i think throughout the entire realm of the series i think there's only one episode where he leaps into someone younger oh really than this Mm -hmm. uh that comes along later in the third season Mm. um but yeah he looks in the side view mirror and we get an oh boy. Oh boy, yeah. Actually, he, he declares, yeah, he, he's a dork, a dork with teeth that can pick up radio trains. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it is interesting to note that, that when he, he opens his mouth, Cameron in the mirror has braces. Yeah. And of course, from a production standpoint, they weren't going to put... Oh, no. They weren't right. going to put Scott Bakula in braces. <laughs> the, the purest in me from years ago, like, like oh, why does he have braces? Yeah, yeah. but yes. Um, and I will, I will go ahead and mention right now that the actor playing Cam is uh, Scott Minville, um, who uh, went on to have quite an extensive career in voice acting. Really? Which is amusing, if for no other reason than the character that he plays in this episode has terrible acne. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that, Yes. He's got a face for voice acting. Uh, actually, uh, the actor who plays Jill, mm-hmm. who will be introduced later, I think she has had a pretty extensive career... Yep. Huh. In, in voice acting. I took note of that, actually, because I thought oh. it was interesting that both of them went on to do a lot of voice acting. He did mostly cartoons. She did a lot of video games. That's right. Uh, it seems. But they both, I think they both did a little bit of each. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, I thought that was kind of kind of fun fact. Going back to the braces thing real quick mm-hmm. and not seeing the braces, I had a thought during this episode where when people are looking at him, what's his name again? Sam. Cam. Sam. Cam. Cam. <laughs> My husband's name. <laughs> um, I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> when they look at Sam, 
and they meet his eye line, wouldn't really they be looking higher or lower because the guy he is slept into is probably mm. shorter or taller? I mean, I know that they're not going to really do that. But uh, I, one of the trivia books from way 20 years ago, they tried to explain it yeah. away. And, and, it's, and it's basically like, you know, if you're this tall and the person's really this tall, like realistically, right. they're, they're, they're looking down here, but it's part of the, the or whatever that yeah. trips people into thinking that they're... They're seeing one person. It's just like they are making eye contact here, but they're actually looking right. Up here. Okay. I, yeah, I almost tend to okay. think of it in the same way that uh, you know you rationalize Star Trek's Universal Translator because technically their lips should be moving in to another cadence to another thing. language, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, you know, for the conceit of television, everybody speaks right. English. And yes, we can explain that away by saying there's a universal translator, but that doesn't explain the lips. Right. Yeah. And it would be annoying to see somebody constantly, like, not yeah. making eye contact mm-hmm. and look weird. But it just... It well, and it's really funny mind. to me, too, because Doctor Who has actually addressed a similar issue before. Not the, the eyeline thing, which is actually a great, great pickup, uh, but the TARDIS having the psychic link and translating everything for everybody. And there's mm-hmm. a point where, you know, the TARDIS isn't working right, and so they can't understand what other people are saying, and then as the TARDIS starts to come back into play, uh, you start to understand what's coming out of their mouths. It's actually really well done. It's in the Christmas Invasion episode. It's David Tennant's first episode, actually. Um, not the only time that they've done it, but, but certainly one of the more notable times. Another universal <laughs> translator note, and this is a, a tangent going into Star Trek, but I caught watching an episode of The Orville, Oh yeah, night. have you checked that? out? I have not. And, and and they do they do something that every other Star Trek series does is that all of the characters seem stuck in this realm of like making uh, twenty or twenty first century or older oh, pop culture references. Yeah. And the Orville is set about the same time frame as Star Trek, like four hundred years in the future. Mm-hmm. So it is bizarre that they're making four hundred year old yeah. pop culture references. Right. And to, like I realized, like that—that's like a universal translator thing that they're the doing viewer. on us. Like, like in reality, they're probably making pop culture references closer to uh, their own sure. time frame, but so that They've we, the viewer in present day, can understand it, we are getting universally translated to a modern day <laughs> pop great. culture reference. That's great. Um, and if you haven't, I—I it, 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 feel like the show is hitting its stride. It is a yeah. It's a really good. Yeah, I you know I, I've heard some good things about it, and I do I do intend on checking it out. I, I can absolutely say after having stuck with Discovery for you know its its run so far that uh, yeah, I'm forever the optimist and and have tried and was certainly invested after the first few episodes, but the past couple of episodes have just been incredibly disappointing. And I feel like honestly they've made a couple of choices that, to be completely frank, have been a little insulting, especially to someone who is a fan of Star Trek. And I'm not one of those fans that's just sort of like, oh, you're pissing on continuity and I can't believe you changed the way the Klingons looked or any of that sort of stuff. I could care less. I, you know, just, just tell me a good story. It feels like they're just trying so hard to be like a Game of Thrones or like, a, you know, some sort of serialized modern TV that has just gotten in the way of telling a strong story with, you know, good, clear, strong characters. And there's some great stuff in it. There really is some great stuff, but I just feel like I'm, I'm mostly unsatisfied after an episode, so which is too bad. Speaking uh, of strong stories with good, clear, strong characters, yeah, Kamikaze, Kamikaze Kid. Kid. I that one. I think you know. I think we can afford the digression, and the no, reason why I, I say oh, that yeah. is because I think Kamikaze Kid is is such a a wonderful episode. It is a very strong episode that um, 
while we'll certainly have some great stuff to talk about, I don't think it's one of those episodes that, you know, like Color of Truth, who spoke for two hours about almost, you know. Um, this this is a little bit more compact, uh, unlike Cam's car. Um, what kind of car is that? It's like some sort of weird station wagon. The Mobile, or what do they call they, it? They call, they call it the Mobile. which, yeah. what, what I love about this episode is that they, they drop little things that they don't beat you over the head to explain. Like, I assume it's called the Mobile because this car was a hand-me-down from his mom. Which, yeah, makes right. a lot of sense. Just yeah. in this last viewing, after being a fan of the series and having known this episode for over 20 years, like, it just caught on that he's called the Kamikaze Kid... Because his name is Cam. Cam, yeah. I just figured that out. Which is funny to me because even in the back and forth when you and I were talking about this episode, I kept um, abbreviating it KK because technically the spelling of kamikaze starts with is a K. K. Yeah. But this episode starts with a C because Cam, Cameron, yeah. kamikaze. So, yeah, it even it even confused me a little bit. Um, so we have this first scene yes. where he, he, he looks in the mirror, he's like, I'm a dork, and then we cut into... <laughs> Uh, cutting to the drive-in, uh, a wonderful uh, "I'm a Wanderer." Who originally sang that song? Dion and the Belmonts. Excellent. I know Eddie Rabbit did a cover up in the '80s, but this was not. <laughs> <laughs> this was not Eddie Rabbit. <coughs> um, and going back just real quick, uh, thanks to IMDb and somebody out there, the Mom Mobile is a 1955 Chevrolet Nomad. So now we know what kind of car it was. Um, stay tuned for more details on the Chevy Nomad. Um, but yeah, you wrote that update on IMDb. Check us <laughs> right. out. Write us a letter. Write us a Please tweet. Do. Us. Tweet us. Instagram us. Get us some Facebook some it. comments. At Fates Wide Wheel. It is indeed a station wagon model, uh, made off and on from 1955 to 1972. Uh, so he's driving the first year of 55, so the mm. car's six years old, so it makes sense that maybe it was his mom's gave it to him. Yeah. You know. And it's a nomad, very much like Sam Beckett. Ah, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is not the only sort of, um, I don't want to say in-joke, but but uh, there's another moment that we'll talk about a little bit later that I that I can't help but feel like, oh, that was an interesting way of her saying that. Okay. Um, We'll get there. Yeah, but the Wanderer <laughs> is in and of itself. The song mm-hmm. is uh, it's kind of a hat tip to to Sam's journey. Um. So yeah, we uh, we pull in and we are very quickly you know we're introduced to the entire uh, you know the landscape of the yeah 1950s 60s not drive in drive up diner yeah yeah drive in diner drive in diner yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's you know that's one of the things this episode does we've spoken about this before um, although I don't know that. Uh, in some ways, since Genesis, um, we've talked about this quite as in-depth. Uh, although, I guess, Color of Truth, we certainly spoke to it a bit. This episode just feels so right, you know, production value-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be a couple of little gaffes here or there that, you know, we could we could nitpick. But for the most part, it creates that vibe so well. It, you know, it's, it's akin to you know, Back to the Future or... or, or um, the other one just escaped my yeah. my, my it, brain. It, it very much taps into the era that America was most nostalgic about. Yes, at the time this episode aired. What when, is it that he says? He says, oh, "End of the era of the the laziest or the most." Oh, what is he? He does have a great. He has line. no love. Yeah, it, it is very similar to his uh, his his little rant at the beginning of Star Cross, where he's obviously not a fan of the seventies. And yeah, he's obviously not a, not a fan of this era as well. Right. Some some uh, got their panties. I wish I'd written this down. Yeah, he has um, he has some great great uh, 
lines early on about mm-hmm. about how he's he's not too enthusiastic about this particular period in time, and you know the guys putting the the butch wax in their hair, mm-hmm. and you know women still kind of being considered best left to the kitchen, and you know all this sort of stuff. Um, and, and and one thing that I will say, and it, and it carries throughout the entire episode, is how how dialed in Scott Bakula is at this point and how Sam is really feeling like Sam now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't, you know, it's, it's funny because this episode was, um, produced, uh, earlier, I think in, in the, um, in the block, thing in the block. Episodes. Yeah, absolutely. I believe it was the third, the third episode that ended up being produced oddly enough. Um, I read that somewhere, but now I'm thinking that's not right. No, it says, yeah, it says right here, this is the third episode that was produced. Um, hmm. That doesn't seem right to me, honestly, mm-hmm. but, but I, uh, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're really, they're really tuned in. They are. To they, where they're going. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like part of that just has to do with the fact that it, it, it has drifted away, uh, this episode in particular drifts away, even though there are some comedic moments, it drifts away from some of the, you know, the comedy aspects uh, of some of the earlier episodes in the season. Um, you know, you don't have, you, you, none of the characters feel like, um, you know, in Starcrossed when we have, um, oh, our dear girl and our wrestler whose names are escaping me right now because it's been a while since we watched that episode. Um, you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I know. What you, yeah, I know. Uh, but yeah, I feel like there there is actually, there's a lot of comedy in this episode, especially for an episode that centers in on domestic violence. Yeah. It's just that the comedy in this episode is a little bit more like like true to life and natural, whereas opposed to like uh, double identity. Yeah. Some some of the the more physical comedy bits in Starcross, where they were obviously going for the laugh, right? Where this one was just a little bit more. This natural. this yeah, this set felt more natural, more genuine. Whereas somebody like Jamie Lee or Oscar mm-hmm. got those names. It's, I thought it felt like a lighter episode in general, even with all the domestic violence stuff. Even then, mm-hmm. it just didn't feel. And maybe there's a sense too of we sort of know the gig now. We know he comes in. He's got to fix something. There's going to be some sort of peril that's going to befall him, like possibly blowing up his car, and <laughs> he still manages to <coughs> make whatever he needs to do happen. So I, I feel like I'm ready, personally, for like an episode where I'm on the edge of my seat, like, oh my god, maybe this isn't going to happen this time, or even maybe something doesn't... It, it always just ends up going right. So maybe that's part of it. I felt a little settled into it. Like, I'm settled into him playing somebody different than himself. Even he seemed a little more comfortable with it. Like, he's been doing this for a while, so he's not as put off by, you know, having to fake be this young kid. And uh, now I've lost my train of thought. Well, I, I, you know, I understand where you're coming from, saying that it feels like a little bit of a lighter episode. I guess for me, because there's just such a, um, a sense of, you know, verisimilitude with the episode, not only in the performances, but in, in the trappings of the production values and capturing that moment in time. It, it, it just feels very honest and genuine to me. So I think that I, I, I appreciate that. Not that there hasn't been uh, other moments where that feels to be the case, but it's so evocative of, of a certain time and place. And I don't necessarily feel like I get that from, um, 
from some of the other episodes, you know, even like Starcross and Right Hand of God don't feel they they don't feel quite as as uh, tied to their particular time and place. Um, you know, I think Double Identity and How the Test Was One feel that way a little bit more. The Color of Truth definitely feels tied to that time and place. This episode, in the same way, feels very tied to its time and place. Uh, and I think that uh, you know, for a deeper examination, even Cheryl. Um, is very indicative of that. Um, so let's actually introduce them. Yeah, you know. so, so yeah, after uh, Samples Up and a little voiceover at the beginning, we are introduced to Bobby and Cheryl pulling up in Bobby's car. And, and a nice little like little cheat, Cheryl's name is, is written, is painted on the side yeah. of the car, and she waves him over and Sam very clearly like, oh, I'm supposed to know her, and then she, he eventually figures out, like, oh, this is my... This is Cam's big sister. Yeah, yeah, and and this is also all coming after the fact that the the Impalas have been harassing him a bit mm-hmm. um, before you know before they get there. Which um, leads me to ask, what is a JD? Juvenile delinquent. Ah, who do they? He calls them JDs. Is that what it was? She she call, she calls them a bunch of JDs because there's a bit where we're also introduced to Jill. Yes. And they steal her purse, and this is where we're first introduced, and the Impalas, which is Bobby's... His, his, his goons, yeah. his gang, goons. basically. They're definitely goons. Yeah. <laughs> One of whom is played by, by a young Jason Priestley. Yes. Yes. Beverly Hills 90210 fame. Yes. And a little movie called Calendar Girl, which if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's terrible, but it's wonderful. He was in that? It's about three guys that go on a road trip to see Marilyn Monroe, and it's pretty fantastic. I'm thinking of Calendar Girls, where the, all the housewives oh. pose naked for a calendar. Yeah, no, nah, mm. this is different. This is different. It's a, it's a period piece, but it's 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 a it's kind of a fun movie. I enjoyed it when I was a kid. Anyway, anyway, so uh, we're introduced to Jill, them like taking her purse, throwing it around, and then Sam interjects, mm-hmm. catches the purse in this little game of keep away, gives it back to Jill. Jorns off, and that's when Cheryl calls them all a bunch. Grow up and stop being a bunch of JDs. Yeah, because Cheryl comforts Jill. It's a really nice scene, and not only is it you know, not only is it just a nice scene in general, but both of the the actors um, do a wonderful job with it. I, I really enjoy. Um, I really enjoy. Romy Windsor is the actor who plays Cheryl. Uh, and then Holly Fields, who plays Jill, as we, t- as we spoke a little bit about earlier. The, the two of them, I think, play the scene really well. Um, and it's mentioned in a couple of other things that we've read, but Jill could be such a throwaway role. Um, and, and again, it adds to that overall feeling that the episode has, you know, where it's a very honest and genuine episode. She does a, just a wonderful job in, in that little scene. It doesn't come off at all, you know, as sort of stereotypical or fluffy or, you know, it just, it works. And Cheryl does a good job of yeah. it, too. So before we get in there, uh, in the Jill and Cheryl scene, before the even the, the game of keep away with the purse happens, mm-hmm. we find out a couple important things mm-hmm. that uh, Bobby and Cheryl are getting married. Mm-hmm. They are going to go serve in the Peace Corps in Tonga. Uh, Bobby actually presents that information as he's pretty excited about it. Yeah. And then in all of the, the the purse tossing around, I feel like this is the first time we get a shot of Bobby taking a drink. Yes. Out of his. It was funny because he's got like he's got like a, a a coke in one hand and then and then all of a sudden you see the flash. Oh yeah, yeah, take a drink. Good. Yeah, yeah, here yeah. we go. Yeah, behind the wheel of a car, mind you. Just a 
in the nineteen sixties. It was it was for every yeah. it was yeah. <laughs> you wore it for cologne, you know. Um, it was yeah. So we have this nice little scene between Cheryl and Jill where they talk about male insecurities and why they're mm-hmm. doing this. But also the most important thing in this scene is that you find out that Jill has a crush on Cam. Cam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we said earlier before we hit record, somewhere, I can't remember if it's established anywhere what Jill's exact age is. I don't think within the episode it is. The yeah, Oddly enough, though, the actor, she's fairly young. I think she's only uh, like 13 or so when the episode was made. Um, which is which is almost hard to believe, uh, unless of course uh, her IMDb bio is is incorrect, which it could very well be. Yeah, mm-hmm. October eleventh, nineteen seventy six. So she's actually twelve years old when they made the episode. Hmm. I don't know if I believe it. Maybe. I think maybe believe I think maybe women, she, Sam. Believe more women. She 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 fudged it. <laughs> she might have fudged it a little. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so uh, so we cut away from this scene of Cheryl and Jill to... Because uh, Sh- uh, Jill makes the comment, like, I, I have a crush on Cam. He seems mm-hmm. pretty tough. Cut to <laughs> yeah. Sam as Cam getting pantsed and dragged to the dumpster. Right, right. And it uh, turns out that Cam's not wearing underwear. Mm-hmm. So they take off his jeans and his shirt and they throw uh, his shoes and they throw a naked except for socks... Mm-hmm. Wearing Sam into the uh, the garbage can. Uh, Do we know he rather. didn't have underwear on? Yeah, it's a line. It's oh, one of the really lines. Like, oh, hey, he's not wearing any underwear. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. And they so they throw him into the dumpster. Al appears for the first time. And, nice dive. Uh, yeah, give you a nine point five on that dive. And actually <laughs> yeah, the, gives the, you my my Al line of the episode because he's got some good ones in this one. Don't get me wrong, but this is probably the least misogynistic one of them all and and sexually predatory uh so i will say al says i would have given you a 10 but i've got a little russian blood in me on my mother's Mm -hmm. side Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, which i was which amused me Mm -hmm. um and then uh jill comes over uh and and helps him out gives him his clothes back no no she doesn't help him out well uh Basically, she walks over and, and she tries to drop the Psych 101 wisdom right. that Cheryl just dropped. She almost runs off with his clothes. And then almost runs right. off. Then she realizes that, that Cam has been pants on her behalf and that just yeah. sends her over the moon. And Because Sam had tried to climb out, but then Jill comes over. She grabs the clothes. She Yeah, like I said, she drops mm-hmm. knowledge. She starts to run off. She remembers she's got his clothes, you know, gives them back to him. Um, and, uh, and then we get some nice Al Sam stuff. Uh, the waitress at the, at the diner clearly knows Cam because she's delivered his meal. Mm-hmm. You know. Also, why would um, Sam be that concerned about strutting around naked? Because it's not his body. <laughs> just I, go get your clothes. Just I just think the overall impropriety of I mean, for sure. You know, like he's he has empathy for the person that he has, and I guess yeah. he would still be naked himself, so he would still feel. Like, everyone's seeing what he's got, even though right. they, would, they would be looking at something totally different. Are you trying to say you wanted to see Scott Bakula naked? Uh, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> There's some hesitation on your end there. Well, because I was debating on how much to go into it. Like, I don't know, he just doesn't do it for me. So, mm. I was not interested in seeing his wang, if that's what you Wow, wow. All right. okay, all right. All right. that's fair. That is totally. But it was. Fair. I just you know. Some of our listeners are going to be very dismayed. Yeah. Like, send your hate mail to. Well, yeah. At- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like Facebook, to stir up controversy. 
Uh, yeah, stir in the pot. That's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah. So the so the waitress brings Sam his meal, which is two burgers, uh, a large fry, and a chocolate milkshake, and a cherry coke. That's and then she I, was gonna get yeah. dessert, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's there. like, "I'll be back later for dessert." Mm-hmm. That's how I ate when I was in. I was gonna say, yeah, yeah. Wow. Me too. Mm-hmm. I didn't say as skinny as Cam did, but yeah. uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so in this conversation, Al reveals that there's an 82.6 percent chance that he is there. To keep Cheryl from marrying Bob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Cheryl never goes to the Peace Corps. And and Sam says he can't imagine anything ever happening. This is my favorite Al line of the episode. He's like, yeah, well, Ken and Barbie grow up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, because Sam t- says that they, they seem like the perfect couple. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, Ken and Barbie do indeed grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Al also dropped. Yeah drops the bobshell that, uh, you know, Bob abuses her, mm-hmm. um, which provokes a pretty strong reaction in Sam and, and just gives us a wonderful moment, uh, for the show, for Sam, you know, for Scott Bakula, uh, where he relates the story about Katie, his sister mm-hmm. and, uh, her first husband, Chuck, she got married when she was 17. She wanted to get away from the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck drank a lot. You know, he ended up beating her. Sam feels guilty about it, wishes there was something he could have done. Mm-hmm. That was his sister. You know, Al tries to kind of allay, you know, uh, allay some of that guilt by saying, you know, what could you have done? Um, but it's, it's just a wonderful moment. And, uh, it's, it, it's again, you know, when, when, when the show fires on all cylinders, it has, it, it, it brings together everything, you know, the script, the acting, the score, you know, everything about it just works so well. And this is one of those moments he's sitting on the back of the car, he's telling the story and it just, it just feels right. Yeah. I think it leads to the rest of the episode feeling almost like you could be seeing Sam and his sister. Like the, he mm. really kind of forms a very fast bond with her and you feel very genuinely all the stuff he says to her I think at the end they say I love you to each other and you you could you can really tell that he's you know that's his sister really you know he's he's getting a second chance to sort of do right and I think I don't know that kind of gives it a nice sort of I I think that also lends itself to what I was talking about before with it this episode feels a little different like it feels like he's more comfortable Mm -hmm. in playing these other roles because in this one it feels like he really wasn't playing the other role he was playing himself what he wished he could have done with his own sister and well and to add on to that it's really nice also to see that kind of relationship develop with somebody who's not a romantic interest Mm -hmm. for the person he's left into so it's really it's just a really kind of it reinforces something that that i said earlier uh um i don't remember which episode it might have been but talking about how um Oh, I think it was Genesis, and I said this a little bit right hand of God as well, where, you know, Sam develops these genuine feelings for the other person that, that he's, you know, his, who he's leapt into is supposed to be with, uh, and, and, and feels this affinity for them, and whether it's sort of he's tricking himself into kind of playing the role or what, it just, it, it feels right for it to be with someone who is not a girlfriend or a wife or a potential love interest, it, it's just really nice, and, and you're right, there's a very, there's clearly that that connection, that brother-sister connection, and uh, it gets developed further and further throughout the episode. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Absolutely. And this sets this up really mm-hmm. nicely. I also want to get back and mention uh, Al's outfit, especially his very nice red, oh, weird yeah. sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. shiny Ooh, jacket. Yeah. I think I got a pair of glasses like that from Pizza Hut one time. We, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I ordered a Bigfoot and a crystal clear Pepsi. Oh, man. <laughs> 
God. A crystal Pepsi, not crystal clear. Crystal Pepsi. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because the sunglasses I'm actually talking about were the Back to the Future 2 sunglasses that Pizza oh, Hut had. Oh, they... Yeah. Because mm. there was that cross-branding promotion thing because Pizza Hut was actually in Back to the Future 2 and... Anyway. Oh, oh yeah, the yeah, yeah. The, the rehydrated yeah, pizza. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, so from there we cut to Cam's home, mm-hmm. and he walks in, and Leave It to Beaver, Leave It to Beaver is playing on television. Yeah, and he gets wrapped up watching. It, it was an episode that aired in November of 1960, which someone pointed out online. Um, and I was like, "Wow, good on you for for researching that." Um, so uh, it's kind of funny because it's it's not while it's not necessarily anachronistic in terms of being after 1961, it would not have probably been airing in June of 1961, which mm-hmm. I thought was funny. I mean, those yeah, those kind of things on shows I give a pass because oh yeah yeah, yeah I, I don't I don't expect them to no. like dig through like what night was this? What and was if one of the cars day? had been like a 1962 instead of a 1961 or whatever, I wouldn't care. I don't care about this. I just thought it was amusing that that was something that I read that's uh, yeah. online. Uh, here's something else that happens, and I, I say this lightly because I don't want I I don't say this lightly rather because the last thing I would want to do is make light of. Um, domestic abuse in any form whatsoever. But I have to say, it's a little interesting uh, a choice that Sam keeps getting hit by there's, everyone. There, there's a running joke, and especially the, the first person he gets hit by is his Cam's dad, yeah. who is obviously, if he's not drunk, he's a little tipsy. Yeah. And so, yeah, something I never caught earlier, but then doing the rewatch for this one, I was like, oh, yeah, there's this running theme of, of Sam getting hit. He just gets hit a lot. In this All episode, I did not yeah. notice that. Yeah, in particular in his right arm, to the point where like he's selling it later. You know, he's like, "Oh, hit me anywhere but there." Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we get his dad, uh, who seems like a fun, fine guy, whatever. You know, uh, comes in, hits him joking around, wants to go out in the backyard and box with him and all this sort of stuff, and. You know, all, all Sam really wants to do is, is get to his room, hmm. uh, have a moment. Your mother wants to see you. Yeah. She's on the warpath. Oh, boy. <laughs> and this is and this is a classic moment um, where, you know, the mother is, is in the kitchen. Um, this is something that struck me about the kitchen, too. And maybe this is, I, I don't know how homes were built in that era or whatever. But it, to me, it was very odd that the kitchen was a bit like this very closed off room, like down the, the hallway, hall, yeah. open a door. And I'm like, is this just a style of home I'm not familiar with? The set, maybe. The the <laughs> set was really weird. Yeah, it just struck me as weird yeah, that, that, that the kitchen. Okay. I didn't what, think what about it at the time, but now remembering him going down the hall, that's like where a bathroom or a bedroom would have been. Not, mm-hmm. The kitchen's usually kind of like an open. A more open. Yeah, yeah. kind of off the front door or something. but Yeah. Like off, or off the living room or whatever. Yeah, I, I did think that. I, I, I've lived in so many houses. I'm trying to remember what they were all like, but most of the time they are. Yeah, the kitchen is kind of open and usually leads into a dining area or a living room or something like mm-hmm. that. So it was it wasn't interesting, uh, but I imagine that yeah, at one point in time, probably right. You know, Maybe houses were built that what way. What was but, she doing with her hair? Was she dyeing her hair? Was she curling her hair? Was she afraid of radio waves? What was happening on her <laughs> no, head? I, th- I think it initially yes, the radio That's waves what thing. Because I, I think it's, it's like it introduces her like she looks just kind of weird. But now thinking about it, I'm sure she's doing something to get her hair ready for the wedding right. that's happening Some in sort a of curling, because it did yeah. look like hair was, like, poking through, but there was also, like, sort of horns around the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the, yeah. I, I, I couldn't yeah. figure it out. Because we don't have a very... I mean, we're, we're two days until the wedding. Three, I think. Three days. That's right, yeah, because mm-hmm. we're in the same that's coming up. 
And what was she making? Because it was, looked like it was bloody. It was like a bright red. No, it was very strange. I'm not sure what it was either. I, I mean, thought she even... was going to get it on his face because it was all over her hand. Yeah, and at I one know. point she reached up and like had his cheek or touched his arm or something. And I was like, oh, he's going to get whatever gross thing is she's cooking all over him. But she didn't. I know. I have no idea. All I was I get, disappointed. All I can think of is like red velvet cake or hair dye. That was literally the only two things that uh, I thought. But I don't know that, that was either one of them. She was making something. I yeah. don't know what it was. Um, but we. Get but anyway, she is on the warpath because she has found. Yeah, well, she didn't oh. find their their Spanish oh, yeah, that's right. housekeeper. Yes. yes, that she's afraid of losing has Again. found. What kind of housekeeper quits because she says four of them? I think quit because yeah. they found a playboy. Mm-hmm. Is it that yeah, offensive? Yeah, it, it's a, it's implied that Cam runs off the housekeeper. You think maybe so there was other doing? stuff yeah. they found with the Playboy oh, or like no. they had to clean up oh. like why else would you oh, quit why would no. four people quit because they found a magazine well it was a simpler and, time and, and Cam doesn't <laughs> wear underwear yeah. yeah god Cam and his acne what is he doing I, what is Cam doing I, I yeah. I, there's so, something besides I would think unless they're just maybe maybe they're just very religious he's just easily offended house mm-hmm. players yeah right exactly um, but there's the Playboy, and uh, and Sam gets a kick out of it, and he's like, "Ah, oh, an old Playboy!" And his mom has this great line. She's like, "Well, Miss May looked pretty fresh to me." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Gross. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's great because honestly, there's this like she's not really that upset with him over the fact that he has the Playboy. Mm-hmm. She's more upset. This is Los Angeles, California. Yeah, right, whatever. Right. It's like uh, it's not that big of a deal, but it, it is. It is. It's a really cute moment, and. Uh, um, as Sam gets ready to leave, you know, she calls him back over because he hasn't kissed her. On the cheek. Her yeah. a kiss yes. on the cheek. That's when I thought he was going to get the mysterious red the sauce all over him. And she also notices that his shirt is ripped. Ripped from, yeah. from the panting earlier. And she, and she like, you know, she gives him this, like, Cam! Mm-hmm. You know, and Sam does this nice little, like, shrug, like, eh, sorry. You know? They do a great job, like, uh, of, just, of just setting up the world. Like, yeah. a lot of these mm-hmm. moments, like, there, there's no big payoff. It's not setting anything up. They're mm-hmm. just setting up this world that... Right. What is family and it's, just, and it's a very engaging episode, I feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, not that, not that I... I mean, we're fans of the show, so it's not like I've had any trouble getting into any other episodes. Mm-hmm. That said, I would certainly say that this is a more engaging episode than How the Test Was Won, or, or Right Hand of God, mm-hmm. or, you know... Um, it's, it's, I, I understand why a lot of people consider this to be, um, one of the better episodes of season one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so after this, Sam goes down the hall and gets called in to another room, mm-hmm. uh, now by his sister. Yeah. Get in here, you little heartbreaker. Yeah. And, and they have this wonderful scene, mm-hmm. you know, just a really, really nice scene. And, and again, I think that it, it, it's a testament to... Uh, the entire team, but this is a moment where the actors and the script in particular kind of get a chance to shine, I think, um, because there's just some great dialogue between the two of them. They both handle it really well. And Sam, you know, Scott Bakula, does this wonderful job of playing the character, if you will, that Sam is left into as well as being Sam. Um, and this is actually where that moment I mentioned earlier about sort of the little nods, the little in-jokes, if you will, happens again. Um, because she, uh, well, he notices a signed picture of JFK on her on her dresser, which is which mm-hmm. is really nice. And then, uh, time for greatness, I think, is his work. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and you know, she's like, be careful with that. And you know, if you would have worked on the campaign, you could have gotten one too. Um, and and then she has this wonderful line where she says, "Remember the time you were leaping around." 
and it just stuck out to mm. me, you know, it's mm. like, oh, she just, you know, she could have <laughs> said anything, and, and, you know, goes on to say in that Zorro outfit, and you broke my Love Me Tender record, and, and whatnot, mm. um, but it, they, yeah, they just have this great back and forth, and it feels very much like a brother and sister, and, mm. you know, someone with a sister, and remembering times when, like, I would be in my sister's room talking, or, or, or whatnot, you know, it, it just felt right, mm. um, and I think, again, it's also the fact that Sam has a sister as well, so he's able to mm. slip into that, if you will. And also bringing, uh, we're in the era of JFK, which comes up later in the episode. And also just seeing the poster on the wall, it just brings me some sadness because uh, in in Betsy's at my home, we have a framed thing that she had of the night that Obama mm. won the 2008 election. And it's a framed thing. It's her ticket to the event in Grant Park where she was at. Man. And it's a button that she bought from one of the mini vendors on the Chicago streets that night. And it's... Uh, not back to back, but it's Obama's profile kind of up against JFK's profile, and it says, "I'm asking you to believe." Yeah, and it you know it's hung up on our wall ever since we moved in together in 2012. A much happier time in this country. <laughs> and, yeah, and now and, a doubt. and now walking by it hanging on the wall in the new home that we live in. Well, it's yeah. interesting, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting for me because, um, as, as you well know, and, and honestly, chief among, if not really the only reason that we met, uh, one of the first shows that I was in when I got to Chicago, I played JFK, and it was on the 50th anniversary of his assassination. We actually had a performance that very night. Uh, and, and so I, I got to play uh, John F. Kennedy and... Um, one of the other actors who had been involved with the show for a time, she actually is the person that uh, introduced Dennis and I because uh, she uh, got me an audition for a show that Dennis was directing, which I, I got cast in as well. And then, you know, we've been fast friends ever since. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's really great to, to see that. And it, and it also just helps to create again, reinforce that the time, the place where we are, um, this, you know, especially with someone Cheryl's age, that sense of optimism, Mm -hmm. um, and the, the idea that Kennedy started the, the Peace Corps with an executive order in March of 1961. So we're only a few months removed from that. And she's like, sign me up. I am in. That's a really interesting thing I hadn't thought about. Yeah. And so it's a really, it's, it's just a really cool, uh, uh, cause the Peace Corps now is almost like a rite of passage for a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. I know a lot of people have one of Betsy's uh, co-workers. They just they're they're in Mongolia now. I think mm-hmm. my cousin yeah. did the Peace Corps, which I was. Um, I know that she talked about this a little. I remember when she applied, and I wonder what the application process was like back then when it first started, because it's pretty complex and in depth now. But I remember her saying something, and I could be totally wrong, but um, I think she said something about how if you're married, then you would get placed in the same city but if you weren't you probably wouldn't and yeah. so it's interesting like that would have been maybe that wasn't the case back then but here they are getting married they've already been assigned to some some the island of tonga yeah, yeah. and so they're then they're gonna get married and then go so that's just interesting that like that i guess maybe maybe it wasn't like that back then but i could have seen that being you know you want to go to the peace corps so bad well we got to get married if we're gonna if we're going to go together. Uh, yeah, and I would think that, that at that particular time, due to the nature of it, I don't know, I don't have the history to back this up, but this is just sort of a, you know, something that I'm presuming is that um, it, it, you, you 
you pretty much could, you know, if you came in with somebody and you said, hey, we want to sign up for the Peace Corps, you probably get right, to Right, it was probably place. a little different. Yeah, it's probably changed. But I actually had a very good friend from college, and she uh, got married. Not the only reason they got married, but it, one of the reasons that they got married is because they were joined in the Peace Corps, and they both ended up going to China together because they, they had to be married, just right. like you're saying. Um, still married to this day, so everything worked out. Mm-hmm. They got three beautiful kids, you know. It wasn't just for the Peace Corps. Although I imagine if you get married to go into the Peace Corps, you're probably like, you, you, you're probably in. Like, I doubt you're going to be some sort of like douchebag like Bob, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, who's, who's not really into the Peace Corps. He's just into Cheryl. Uh, <laughs> but who knows? Who Why knows? did he even want? Okay, he's gonna pretend like he's going to the Peace Corps. He's gonna get married and then convince her to stay, which I know we'll talk about more later. But why didn't he just like sleep with her and date her and not really worried about the whole getting married and Peace Corps thing? Why wouldn't he just be like, yeah, I'm going with you, and then like not go? Well, you know, not to get <clears throat> too psychoanalytical, but I think that one of the things that is common amongst um, people who are abusive uh, is that there's this sense of possession. Power, yeah, that makes sense. And power, okay. and so I think that for him, you know, I mean, marriage is the ultimate act of possession for him. Right. I'm not saying that that is true, and, and that, like, he, you know, in his quest to possess her completely, he has to marry her, and right. once he marries her, he's He's going to get his and, way, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but we're kind of skipping ahead here. Yeah, so, we're skipping ahead. So, yeah, yeah so the, the, the most important thing at the end of the scene is, is Sam throws out the idea to Cheryl is maybe mm-hmm. we shouldn't get married yet. Because she was very stressed. Because she was very stressed out. She was kind of jittery. Rewatching this, I, 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 thought, yeah. I thought this was the first time that we revealed that that she that there were signs of physical abuse, but that doesn't come until later. She's just very yeah. jittery, and she knocks over the the toenail polish or the fingernail polish. Right, right. But and laughs th- about it like there wouldn't be a huge mess if you. Oh yes, yeah. yeah. She was just like, oh, oh, oh yeah. so funny. I'm um, like, but, oh god. Yeah, but the the scene kind of ends with them in a fight because. Right. Throws out the idea, and this is when it's real. The, the wedding's in three days, and you know one of the things that's kind of nice about this, uh, and, and because it just I don't know it, it helps to kind of uh, raise the the stakes and and and, and accentuate the tension. I think is that um, what Sam doesn't do is he doesn't try to fight too hard. He kind of takes like he says what he says, you know, to kind of feel her out, like just sort of like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this. Maybe this is you know, and he drinks a lot and. And, you know, he he gauges her reaction. She does not react well. And instead of really trying to fight or push her on it, you you can see that he's sort of like, okay, that's not going to work. Got to figure something else out. And Mm -hmm. and I don't know. It's just a kind of a neat moment. It's a very silent moment. You know, he doesn't say any lines there. It's just a look on Scott Bakula's face. And I just feel like it it plays really well. And um, it gives me me a lot without saying anything. Sure. So then we cut to the next scene of... Cam and Jill <laughs> working around the car, and Sam has this great line, like the Swiss cheese memory playing with him. Like he knows that the that the camshaft has a flat lobe, but he has no idea what any of that is. Right, and he has this great line about a, a newborn calf walking around a mother, like knowing that there's milk somewhere, and just yeah. having no yeah, idea, yeah, no idea how to get the milk. Uh, and this is a very short scene that exists solely to establish that. Cam and Jill no cars. Yes. For later in the episode. Right. 
Well, you know, and I think it also does this nice thing, too, where it, it, obviously from her dress earlier on, uh, the clothes that she's wearing, not literally a dress, but from what she's wearing earlier, we get the sense that Jill's kind of a tomboy. You know, she's wearing a baseball cap, a t-shirt, jeans, and then, and, 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 and like, a button-down shirt. She's not, you know, like, Cheryl is dressed exactly how you expect somebody from 1961 who's a 22-year-old woman to, to look, you know. Whereas um, Jill, who apparently, according to something that I'm reading here, is actually supposed to be 16 in this episode. Um, Jill is, is not dressed that way, you know. She is dressed a little bit like a tomboy. Um, but, yeah, she knows cars. You know, she's even using the... the timing gun, you know, on the, on the car and everything, uh, which I remember my dad uh, was big into cars, and uh, I used to play with his, his timing gun when I was a kid. I don't think he liked that at all, but <laughs> I, was, I was Han Solo, and that was my blast. You, you were a kid. What, what can I say? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, this, this scene does exist to establish that Cam and Jill have a friendship. Mm-hmm. 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 That they have a relationship. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're buddies, and yeah. yeah. And, and so Sam tricks Jill into fixing the camshaft by, yeah, was by nice. oh, you don't you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's great too because it's just, it's again it's kind of playful and it's and it's really nice and you know the Holly Holly Fields um, Jill I just yeah I think she does a really really mm-hmm. great yeah. job you yeah, know, throughout the good. whole episode. Yeah, fantastic. So then we cut to Sam going inside. Yes. Uh, Cam's mother comes through. She is upset about something, but she yells at Sam. How many times have I told you not to walk through the house greasy? Yeah. And I don't, 207. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. You know, I have to, okay, look, I have to make a short digression here. This is this is a personal story, uh, but we're going to leave it in just because I think it's funny and it's and it's period appropriate to this episode. This is why we're But here. it reminded me of a story that I've heard many times about my uncle. Um, so my uncle, I, he would have actually been, I think about 19 in 1961. Um, but this, this would be about right when he was probably in that age range, somewhere late fifties, early sixties. So he's, you know, he's in his teenage years. Um, he worked on cars a lot. And, uh, like I said, my dad was a big car guy as well for there for a while there. And, you know, he actually built a couple of cars and that was something that they shared. Uh, so my uncle at one point, um, they were getting parts from junkyards and, you know, they, they were young boys who knows where else they were getting their parts from. But, uh, at one point they had like a, an engine block and he had to get the engine block, um, from the front yard into the backyard. And for whatever reason, he decided that the best thing to do would be to drag the thing across the carpet in the house <laughs> To the backyard. And so my grandmother, his mother, gets home and sees, like, this just long trail of, like, grease and, and all over the carpet. Completely ruined, obviously. And, oh, he never heard the end of that. To the point that I can remember, probably the first time I heard that story, I was four or five years old. And, and literally, my grandmother telling this story about my Uncle Jim doing this. And, and you know, it's just something that stuck with us. And so it was very funny in this scene to see her giving him a hard time about, you know, walking in with the grease with all the over the place. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's like, hey, kids did that. That was, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that. And it's funny because nowadays, nowadays, that's not quite as big of a thing. You know, you don't, you don't, there aren't a lot of people, like, working on cars in the same way. It's not, you don't have a lot of grease monkeys as, you know. In well, anymore the way cars are built, it, sure, yeah, it, yeah, it, it doesn't lend, it, cars don't lend themselves to, to tinkering with them anymore. Right, not, yeah, definitely not in the same way. It's like, you, know, you can put some tires on it or some flashing lights or something like that, but you're not really, 
getting into the guts of the car anymore like you mm. used to. Yeah. yeah. Were you the one uh, the the last time we recorded? You had an episode recently where you had a almost had a bad accident oh, because they didn't yeah. tighten yeah. the lug nuts tight yeah. enough on your tires. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, that is exactly what happened. We were going down to Indianapolis, which is uh, where Jess's parents live, and. Yeah, they had, they, somehow, a lug nut had not been tightened all the way on our new tire. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, do you know who the comedian Ron White is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he actually, he had a, he has a similar thing uh, in, in one of his stand-up specials. Like, he has a story where the tire actually came oh. off. Oh, wow. Oh. And, and so he, he starts off this segment going, here's a story I'm going to keep telling until Sears settles the lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We need to get a hold of good old Ashland Tire and Co. Oh no! <laughs> uh, <laughs> a sponsor of Fates Wide Wheel. Write us and let us know at Fates Wide Wheel, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Indeed. Anyway, anyway. Um, so anyway, so we have this uh, great little moment. I think even before Cam's mother comes in, uh, Al is in there, and he, oh, he he has just showed up to watch the lingerie yeah. Which, party. By the way. A, sh- a bridal shower three days before the wedding, and he think was she trying on the laundry because he said something about watching. Mm-hmm. What? Why would she try on the laundry? Like do a fashion and show for all I, the I, old I, ladies? Yes, bridal and, shower. And I don't. I can't imagine. Cheryl seems pretty modest, and, and women in that era are, are pretty modest. Like I can't imagine a. Women just stripping down and right in the living room. Yeah, Yeah. it was all open in the living room. I could see like later on in the evening she's trying it on by herself, but it it made it kind of sound like it was like a fashion show at this bridal shower with Mm -hmm. her family and I'm sure old ladies. Yeah, this is just a nice opportunity to reinforce the idea that Al is a pervert. Is but yeah, (laughs) he's he's being a little pervy. Um, And he has a he has an idea for a lingerie shop. Which no. Fredericks of Hollywood was around back then? That was it sure was. Yeah. I was surprised. Yeah. I don't know when they were established. And that's when Cam's mother comes through, and after the, the little bit that we explained earlier about walking through Dirty with Grease, she is upset because Cheryl is in the bedroom trying on Bob's mother's Yeah, Miss Thompson's dress. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so yeah, she's upset. She leaves. And Sam can be socially clueless sometimes, but he gets it exactly like right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. And well, and then there's uh, you know the moment where he's outside and and Cheryl has come outside and she's got the dress on and she's you know mom's upset about this and she's mm-hmm. clearly having a hard time and she's she's torn yeah yeah um and and she's trying to get the dress well, clearly off and... sam has gotten into her head like she's yeah you could point. you could look at it like she's just stressed out about the wedding because she doesn't really say anything she says she doesn't care and she just wants to you know she doesn't know what to do and she's stressed out which is very common for people about to get married um about oh, the planning it? yes it is <laughs> <laughs> Jessica but, and I were married in July by the way for our mm-hmm. listeners and, yeah stuff goes sideways well I, I had yeah. a similar moment when I was being asked whether I wanted certain color flowers in this arrangement and I just like lost it I was like I just don't care I don't know I can't decide and so I felt I sympathized with that but clearly <laughs> Sam had got into her head and it was underneath the surface she clearly was also wondering if this was the right thing to do and if it was the right thing to do wouldn't it feel right and wouldn't she be happy and excited about knowing exactly which dress to wear and 
Yeah. That's who I am. Yeah. Um, it, well, and then we have the moment, too, where she can't get out of the dress and asks for Sam to help her out of the dress. Mm-hmm. Um, and he immediately, you know, he undoes one button and, and sees bruises mm-hmm. um, yeah. sort of on the you know, base of her neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, a, it, it just occurred to me right now in the moment. She probably knows she has a bruise on the back of her neck. Well, she doesn't let... At first, she doesn't want him to help. She, she, he says, like, let me help me. And she's like, no, I can get it. I can get it myself. Oh, that's, and then she gives up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it occurred to me, like, if there's, like, almost like a, a little, like, subconscious cry for help. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading way too much into a... Right, way too much into it. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's good to read too yeah. much into it. But anyway, but he sees a bruise on the back of her neck, asks how she got it. She fell... Yeah. Right, yeah, sure. Right. Um, and then that's when Bob pulls up and she says, Bad luck to see a bride in her wedding dress before the wedding, and she Runs in. darts in. And this is, we have my favorite Sam moment yeah. of, the, of the episode. Yeah. I can't remember. What did he do? So, at this, so Bobby's just trying to be Joe Cool, walk by, hey man, how's it going? And Sam, like, not shoulder checks him, but I think like just like puts a hand up and like stops. Yeah, yeah. Stops him, and he, and Bobby's carrying some flowers, and like you know, trying to make up with the bruise. And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And Sam's like, "Oh, it's the kind of bruise that you get from grabbing someone like this." And he just grabs yeah Bob by the back of the neck. Oh. And again, and, and this is a, a a dead horse that I've beaten in other episodes. This is a moment I would have loved to have seen the actor playing Cam, and just have a quick <laughs> shot of acne. Right. nerdy cam mm-hmm. yeah. grabbing Bob by the back of the neck. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, again, uh, going back to the whole, you know, is it his consciousness that leaps? Is it his body that leaps? Et cetera, et cetera, which we will come to establish a clear-cut response to that. At this particular point, it certainly seems as though Sam is using his strength and Cam would not be able to do that mm-hmm. to Bob, you know, mm-hmm. um, but it is a great moment, and I agree. I, 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 I kind of, it's that, it's a, it, it's that thing that when Sam gets to that point, which we will see more as this, as the show goes on, like he's very capable of of you know of just grabbing a guy and being like no, you know, um, and 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 I think that this is a little contrary to some of the the Sam that we've seen earlier. Um, even in Starcrossed, where Oscar's just like all over him and stuff like that, and it's just sort of like, no, Sam can take care of himself, um, which gets established more and more as the show goes on. You know, it's it's it, not that he's invincible or a superhero by any stretch. I mean, certainly somebody can get the better of him, but it's just interesting to 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 kind of get that enforced here. It's like Sam can take care of himself, and yeah. he's not afraid of a guy like Bob. Mm-hmm. And to go back to what Jessica was pointing out earlier, there is stakes because Cheryl is Kate. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. Um, and so, uh, you know, Bob gets angry and, you know, uh, uh, gets out of his, his hold and, and ends up throwing the flowers at him. And, and Sam and says, I'll, I'll tell Cheryl I'll see her tonight. Right. For the rehearsal. Like that real dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, which at, at this point, you know, um, we, we've talked about some of the other actors, Kevin Spiritus, uh, plays Bob, uh, who's actually credited as Kevin Blair in the episode, uh, went on to have a pretty lengthy 
career as a soap opera actor on Days of Our Lives. Oh, God, I can so, absolutely see yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's done a lot of other things as well, mm-hmm. um, which I will say that about the cast in general. Pretty much everyone in this show has, has, has done a lot of work and has and, and it continued to work, mm-hmm. you know, up until uh, even very recently. And uh, a lot of the actors, the older actors in particular, uh, again, it's, it's similar to some of the other actors we've talked about in, in the show, you know, started in like 1982 and worked on every single television show that was airing on any of the major networks mm-hmm. up until like 1995 like you know mm-hmm. Hill Street Blues Magnum P.I. Love Boat MASH you know whatever it was like they were on it at some point in time mm-hmm. um, which is interesting you know it's, it's that does not that does not happen as much anymore no. you know? and it's interesting and this was at a time too where you only had the three major networks right so there were a lot less TV shows and a lot of actors taking up those roles. You had a lot of hungry well, actors not working. I would argue, I would actually argue that that's not true about the number of TV shows. There were absolutely more TV shows split between three networks 25, 30 years ago than there are today. Because today there's so much reality TV and game show crap that you only really have, like, I mean, when you think about televised dramas on CBS alone, there's like, what, like six? Regular airing that might even be generous, including NCIS New Orleans, sorry, Scott Bakula, <laughs> dashing as ever. Mm-hmm. Um, except if you're Jessica, in which case you're not that into him. Maybe uh, he looks better now. I don't know. I don't know. It's like I love, like, uh, I used to watch NCIS New Orleans pretty regularly, and, yeah. and, I, and I fell off of it. And I watched like the season premiere or like the first half of the season premiere, and I think Scott Bakula, and maybe in his role as Pride on that show, he's just hitting the the phase in his career of I don't give a shit. Oh yeah, <laughs> in a good way. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting seeing him in, in other roles because I, I, I mean, obviously my favorite thing that I've seen him in is Quantum Leap. Um, but thinking about, have you seen Men of a Certain Age? No, I have not actually. Mm-hmm. That's one that I've only seen like each episode once. I'm not even sure that I, I have seen all of the episodes. Yeah, that is probably the best thing I've seen Scott Bakula in. Okay, like, like his best work and what he does uh, because he is in that series. He is a he is an actor who has had no fame at all. He has just been struggling to make ends meet mm. his entire career. He's kind of a ne'er do well. He's irresponsible, and he—he's just this lovable screw up, <laughs> just doing the best that he can. Yeah. No, I definitely want to check that out. I mean, I you know, obviously having seen him, um, you know, in 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 Quantum Leap and Star Trek Enterprise and uh, Murphy Brown, Mister and Mrs. Smith, which was actually a show that I enjoyed quite a bit when it mm-hmm. originally aired because. I, 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 I had a nice little side business in college where I had all of the episodes of Mr. and Mrs. Smith on VHS tapes. Yeah. And this is before eBay really cracked down on this stuff. Sure. I would just make copies of my eight episodes that aired before it was canceled. Sure. And I would just sell it over and over again on eBay. Oh, man. That's I what? made I made $80 on one selling of the cassette tape, wow! Because Classic. because it didn't air in the UK or was it was a rare showings in the UK and some guy in the UK really wanted it huh. and he paid eighty dollars for one cassette tape. 
And for 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 a broke college kid living in a dorm, oh yeah, eighty dollars was. I no, I, I used to do with Buffy the Vampire Slayer actually. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's not. A I don't. I don't feel like such a delinquent. No, no. Um, but anyway, uh, um, yeah. I mean, Scott Bakula. So yeah. He's so great. so now we cut to the wedding rehearsal and the establishing shot. They are at the establishing shot. They are at the tail of the cock, which was actually. Uh, there were two of them in L.A., um, and they were pretty popular, um, well-known go-to places, uh, especially even for a lot of celebrities at the time. And I think the last one may have closed like sometime in the mid-80s, okay, early 90s. Uh, and actually, I, I, was looking, you know. I was looking at pictures online. Actually, the inside looked a lot more swanky. Than, oh, than what we did than, than, yeah. than what we see in hmm. than what we see in this episode. Sure. I really didn't get the idea of, of looking at information online, looking at pictures. Uh, I, I really didn't get the idea they would have had weddings here, mm-hmm. or especially a people of like pretty like middle middle class, yeah, yeah. like um, like Cheryl and Bobby were right. Um, but yeah, it's. Although you do get the sense that his family is probably a little wealthier, because they're getting the they get mm-hmm. the TV mm-hmm. and they're buying I think a car and a well, house. Yeah, because his dad is the uh, uh, used head of car sales. sales and stuff. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, well, and and so let's just dive into this scene because this is actually a really great scene and it, and it, and it ends up setting up the you know our big finale. Um, but it's it's great because it, it's got again some of those moments that are sort of just genuinely funny. Mm-hmm. Um, mixed with our, you know, one of our signature quantum leap moments, uh, while also having, uh, you know, some some good heart and soul moments as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I found interesting, not to interrupt, but like they start the scene like, I now pronounce you man and wife. It's almost like that little fake out. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Um, but the way that the men are lined up, it looks like Cam is the best man. <laughs> He's. <laughs> <laughs> Cad made a podcast. Uh, <laughs> hello, <laughs> hello. How? What did you think about that? Al, <laughs> like uh, hello, Al. But the the way the men are lined up, Sam is in first man position. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's I, not that unusual. I mean, I I've always thought it was a little strange, but people will do that. Where like, if you have a sibling, they'll be the best man, even if it's on the other side. Well, and you do get this sense that until Sam has taken over for Cam, you do get the sense that. Bobby like treats Cam with affection, you know that 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 that. Or, or there's like, something because there's a line earlier on that, yeah. that Cheryl said, you know, earlier you thought you thought the world of Bobby, right? Mm-hmm. And and even when they and when they kind of save Bobby from the rest of the Impalas and stuff like that, like it's clear that Bobby and Bobby said even has a couple of lines to Cam where he's like he calls him little brother. Mm-hmm. He calls Cam little brother uh, uh, at least once. So I think that there's that there that there is this sort of you get this sense that there is some sort of you know friendship there, and again, it, it's probably just posturing on Bob's part, you know, whatever. Oh god, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so there's the you know they, the the rehearsal of Brown Prince, Man, Wife, the kiss, uh, and then Bob's dad comes in, um, who is um, a chip off the old block. Oh, to <laughs> Sam, yeah. as Sam says, Robert Costanza, who is um, actually. Uh, one of the things that I remember him best for is he's the voice of Harvey Bullock in the Batman animated series uh, from the early 90s. All right. And all subsequent 
mm-hmm. you know, film films that have been made from it. He plays the voice of, of Harvey Bullock. Um, but yeah, he's um, a little clearly a little drunk when he shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, loud, you, you know, very uh, borderline offensive. You know, he's telling off-color jokes. He's, oh, wait till we get know, to the joke later on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and again, it's clear that this is... Bobby's dad, you know, mm-hmm. like you, it's like okay, yeah, this is mm-hmm. who this is who Bobby is in twenty years. You know? Yeah, this oh yeah, we're definitely setting setting this up. Um, but yeah, he he shows up and everybody goes off to dinner. Sam has the moment says like father like son, like father like son. Cheryl punches him in the arm. Right, do me a favor, punch me somewhere else. Is back to like like you pointed out, like we're we're getting a little abuse. Yeah, in the domestic abuse episode, Sam's just getting it from from all ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then she punches him in the stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we cut to the rehearsal dinner. And Which we, Sam is drinking milk. Sam is drinking and milk. Sitting at the kids' table. <laughs> sitting at the kids' table. <laughs> but, but before, after that, we cut to the, the adult table where uh, Bobby's dad is telling the punchline of a joke. And the punchline of the joke is of course you can. That's where lawyers come from. <laughs> so I looked it up. So I. Google it, yeah. see if I can find it. It was very easy to find. This is a horribly offensive joke, especially in 1961, especially in mixed company. Yeah, at a wedding rehearsal. But the but the setup of the joke is a woman goes to her doctor. A woman goes to her doctor and anxiously asks, "Doctor, can I get pregnant from anal sex?" It's all about the butt sex. And the doctor <laughs> says, "Of course you can." That's where lawyers come from. Oh my uh, god! Yeah, knowing that and like watching that scene now, knowing that that's the joke and seeing everybody's reaction. Cam's dad loves it. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Bobby's like in any other context, he would laugh at it, but he's like, he's self aware enough to be like, hey, yeah, Jesus like, Christ! Yeah. 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 <laughs> and the women are like, eh. yeah. That yeah. I had gone up to get dinner and I came down and I saw all the mom's faces and I was like, oh, is the dad a jerk or something? Yeah. Because I, I hadn't seen it when he first arrived. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. But I could just tell from the look on their faces that somebody had said something offensive. Mm. So uh, Sam is sitting at the kids' table. And I didn't... Uh, I did jot it down. Sitting at the kids' table with him is yeah. Michael Belisario. That's right, right on One of Don Belisario's kids. Don Belisario oh. is the creator and showrunner. Um, has a great line when when Sam encourages Al to go to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's like, he's, I don't have to go I to the bathroom. Have to. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he went on. He appeared in at least two other later episodes of Quantum Leap hmm. as different characters. And I can't. I don't know if he was a producer, or if he was actually an actor, or see all of the above. Sure. On one of the Jags or NCISs. Oh yeah. Entirely. Likely impossible, I would imagine. Which, what kind of, like, 20-year-old college students are, like, throwing, I don't know, pudding at um, another, like, high school I don't, kid? I, 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 feel like, I feel like Bobby and his brood are, they're not even in their 20s yet. I feel like they're just barely out of high school. They're they're 22. Are they? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. They just know. seem super immature. Maybe maybe a couple of the Impalas are younger, but, mm-hmm. but like, uh, um... Uh, Cheryl and Bobby are 22. Mm-hmm. 
So, okay. yeah, so it would make sense that the others are probably 20. I, I, I yeah. am so used to adjusting for actual age for, right. for young kids. I'm like, yeah, they look like they're in their 20s. They must be right out of high school. <laughs> I know, which is funny because the actors are like 26, 27. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's funny because, you know, for the first time, I, Bobby not so much, but, but, but you can kind of buy Cheryl as like 22 years old. Like mm-hmm. I buy her as that. Bobby, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but in HD... <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. Quantum I mean, Leap Blu-rays. Yeah. If you don't own them, they seriously get you yeah. get the original music. You, you, you're not getting anything cut out. It's just it's just the way to go. It's the way to go. Buy the Blu-rays. Yeah. Buy the Blu-rays, and if they decide to reissue a set with some special features down the road, buy those too because we deserve special features. We did not get them because Mill Creek produced yeah. this set pretty cheaply. If you buy enough hey. of the product, then maybe they'll make a movie. That door has shut. Oh. I I just believe it's that that door is closed. Don't give up hope. I'm okay. I'm okay with there not being any more quantum leap. I know some people would probably be like, "What? No!" But I I, I, I have I'm... long given up hope. I did. Speaking of new quantum leap that I've never seen before, I have seen the fan. I the a couple weeks ago I did go and watch the fan film A Leap to Die For. Oh yeah, the Princess Diana. Have one. you seen that one? Uh, I've seen some of it. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I, I watched enough of it to know I couldn't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As in it wasn't good? It, I mean, it is... It is... We are a very modest podcast listeners. We may have had a higher budget than this movie. No, I'm kidding. No, it was actually very well produced. Like, their recreation of the control room at Project Quantum League, yeah. given that they probably had zero budget, is actually fairly decent. Yeah. They actually got Deborah Pratt... To be the voice of Ziggy, and Deborah Pratt was one of the the writers and, and producers oh, wow. on the actual TV series. So actually, I, I give them points. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, just yeah. um, we'll, cut, we'll cut that out later so we so don't get hate mail. We have uh, <laughs> now. I'm leaving that in. So we uh, so so we have we have a really uh, another great moment. There's a speech that's given, and you know by. Uh, Bob's dad, and it's like, okay, whatever. And uh, I want to thank the most important person here. Yeah, the wine waiter. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then Bobby <laughs> delivers a color television set as a mm-hmm. gift for uh, Cheryl, which is nice. And then Sam, which is beautifully done, because it's a close up of a glass of milk. And all of a sudden, Sam taps on the side of it. And at this point, Jess even says to me, is he drinking milk? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he stands up and he gives this really nice speech about mm-hmm. Cheryl. Um, you know, saying that, you know, you, you answered the call, JFK's call, yeah. you know, ask not what your country can do for you. Um, and then uh, and then goes on to even crack a joke about how Bonanza, yes. when Bobby and, and Cheryl are in Tonga, there's no electricity. I'll be there. watching Bonanza. I'll be watching, yeah. <laughs> Bonanza was the first TV Western to produce all of its episodes in color. Yeah. Even when the series began, most people did not own a color TV. Right. But. Yeah, but now they do. And and, and now, you know, Cam is, is going to be watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gives, so he gives this really nice speech. Afterwards, we get the moment that Jess was talking about just a second ago where uh, Pencil, played by Jason Priestley, flicks like pudding or something mm-hmm. uh, on um, Sam and it gets on his glasses uh, and Al is there and because mm-hmm. and the, the reason why he's done this is because he sees him talking to himself mm-hmm. and so he flicks the, the pudding or the pie mm-hmm. on him and, uh, and that's when Sam's like let's go talk about this in the bathroom Sam and Al go to the bathroom uh, and uh, start their the thing basically Sam tells Al that the abuse has already started yeah bruise on the back of her neck she's making excuses 
Al says, what are you going to do? And Sam looks in the mirror. We get this great more full body shot of Cam. And he's like, would you listen to me? Right. Well, and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's great because one of the things that the episode I feel like doesn't try to do is it, it doesn't try to be a message episode. It doesn't try to be a very no. special episode of yeah. Quantum I feel like this come along second or third season, they would have leaned into it too hard. Right. Yeah. And instead, it's just more like, these are the circumstances. Mm-hmm. And and it's not to say that, that, obviously, Sam has a very passionate stance on the issue, mm-hmm. uh, for good reason. And like, Jess, what you were talking about earlier... Well, I was going to say, I feel like it's all about his support of her. Like, that's what's so nice about his speech is he's not beating her over the head with, like... Remember what I told you before, you know, it's just, yeah. he's like, you know what, no matter what you choose, like, I support you, I think what you're doing is great, and, you know, I care about you, and I think that's what she needs to hear, because clearly, Bob or whatever is telling her other stuff that's probably not as nice, so, right. I thought that was a really nice tactic for him to take, because I think it is still part of his plan to try and break them up, but it's it's coming from such a genuine place of love and support, versus just, like, let me... I know what's better for you. Yes, he doesn't try to. He doesn't try to control her or manipulate her. Right. He's just, trying, he's to just trying to lift her up. What's so great about her? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really nice. I, I agree. I agree. Um, and then so we get our kiss with history mm-hmm. in this particular moment. A little boy walks out of the bathroom <laughs> stall. Hey, Mister, who are you talking to? Oh, I'm an actor. I'm just rehearsing a scene. And then we just, we just get this this total dance off. Yeah, Farida super Nash, random. Rock and Robin starts to play to, to Rock and Robin. Yep. And uh, at the end, Sam introduces the moonwalk. The little kid does it perfectly well. And you were saying this before we hit record. It's not little kid shoes. <laughs> yeah, his, his shoes suddenly get very big. Legs get a little thicker for the close up shot of the yeah. moonwalk, and then another. Kid pops out. He's like, "Come on, Mikey, we got to rehearse." Right. Bye bye. Yeah. Uh, which, truth be told, it it, it can't be Michael Jackson because mm-hmm. he would have been like two years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that kid looked was pretty very, young. He but... was very well advanced. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. That's true. He really was. Um, but it. But it's still. It's a nice little moment. And there's this. You know, this interaction between Sam and Al where they kind of look at each other and they're like, and then I was like, no. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. And then uh, he goes back out, uh, or no, excuse no, no, no. me, yeah, 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 he's, yeah. As sorry. Mikey and and uh, his brother are, are, are going out, Bob and Bob's dad, do we ever get Bob's dad? Uh, yeah, actually Chuck, his first Chuck. name is Chuck. Bob, of course his name is Chuck, <laughs> right? Bob, Bob and Chuck come in, and he's like, is that the new dance called the... Twist or whatever, like yeah, oh, yeah, 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 the, yeah, the new dance. And Chuck is plastered at this point. Oh yeah, he's, like yeah. not just like he's not just a little tipsy. He's not. He's like almost falling down drunk. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and Bob is kind of trying to hold him up. And at this point, we learn about the the plan, mm-hmm. which is you know no Peace Corps. Yeah, Bob is 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 going to be a salesman at the used car place. He's going to have a house that Chuck's bought for him. Mm-hmm. He's going to have yeah, they've got the color TV. They've got all this stuff set up, and that's all there is to it. And Sam and Al are hiding in the uh, bathroom stall at this point. Right, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and and Sam is 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 upset, and it's funny because Al is like really pissed and indignant about this, and he's like, "Oh, you son of a!" And Sam's like, "Shh," <laughs> I was like, "I'm a hologram. You can't hear me. Yeah, they can't hear me. They can't hear me. Yeah, yeah. We get the nice uh, one of the two hologram shots in this episode where he walks out the bathroom door. Yeah, out of the bathroom door. Yeah. Um, and and it's you know one of the things that's kind of hilarious about this is it's clear that Chuck thinks that the 
the best thing that could absolutely happen to a young man would to become a used car salesman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to have his father buy a house for him, to mm-hmm. have the car, to have the TV, to get the girl. Like, the highest level you can reach mm-hmm. is this. Mm-hmm. And that's what Chuck thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Bobby's clearly bought into it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, yeah. Uh, but now, of course, Sam knows this. Which and, is- and I love the moment where Sam and Al are sitting next, uh, or standing next to each other, and they have this line of, Al says, normally I'm against spreading men's room gossip, but in this case, and Sam finishes the sentence. <laughs> yeah. What I love about this episode with Sam and Al is that this is the first time, like, their relationship just feels very lived in. Yeah. I, you know, and again, I would I would say that about about just the, the whole episode and the characters in general. I mean, Sam feels like Sam. Al feels like Al. You know, this, to me, you know, again, Color of Truth is a great episode. This is not a great episode, but it's a very good episode. And like you said, it feels very lived in. Um, we also get this horrible line. Oh, I was going to go back. Okay, yeah, I hope you got, yeah, caught this. Yeah. About, about how basically he knocked up Bob's mom. Yeah, Bob's Bob's mom was going to go to college, but me getting her knocked up with you. Yeah, I took care of that nonsense. Get the oh, picture. Geez, I missed that. And yeah, yeah that basically is... telling Bobby to knock Cheryl up so that she won't go to the Peace Corps. That is such wow. a, a horrible, for one, advice to give to your son to do to your future wife. Yeah. And two, a story to tell to your son about how your son came to... Son, you were a manipulation device. Yeah. Right? Because I didn't want your mother to go to college. To keep your mom from getting... Yeah. Gross. And it's, you know, through our lens in particular, you know, we're, we're obviously disgusted by that. I think, however, that it's worth noting that given the context of the times, 1961, and clearly the the um, the hierarchy of, mm-hmm. of, of, of marriage and, and male dominance and that sort of thing, that that's not necessarily anything that we should be shocked by necessarily. So I think that it is very interesting um, to, to just be able to kind of put it in the context of its time and, mm-hmm. and look at the sexual politics of the time. And uh, not that this would have been considered okay by any stretch in 1961, even though we're talking about it in 2017. It's just that I think the dynamic, the power dynamic there is clearly that the man does what he does because the woman's not supposed to go to college. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not supposed to get to go to the Peace Corps if she wants to go to the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And that particular aspect, whether or not you go to the lengths of getting her pregnant or not, Mm. that particular aspect of it, I think, is absolutely indicative of the times, Mm -hmm. you know. And there is a third season episode that kind of beats this over the head a little bit more, and strangely enough, it's the the other episode where Sam leaps into a a very young man. Mm. Mm-hmm. If you're watching along with us, listeners, stay tuned. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for, for the third season. We'll get there in about 30 or so episodes. Yeah. You know, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, um, so anyway, so, so so now we cut back out, um, and, and we don't even, we don't we don't see the scene where, where Sam goes to tell Cheryl. No, which I like. Learned. Yes. I really uh, like that. So we, we cut to the Impalas doing a shot at the bar, and Cheryl walking up. Our very young Jason Priestley talking about the virtues of tequila. Yes, yeah, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> and and Cheryl walking up in a huff to confront Bobby over not going to the not going to the Peace Corps. Yeah, um, which is which is also uh, you know a good a good scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know 
Bobby's clearly backpedaling, trying to like, you know, do anything he can to be like, well, I was maybe that's going to happen. Well, of course, mm-hmm. we're going to the Peace Corps. Peace Corps. Oh, I'm going to break the news. We'll have the house when we come back. Yeah, I'm going to break the news to my dad after the wedding. Sam drops a bit about the house, and he's like, oh, now ruin that now. Meanwhile, this entire time, Al is behind the bar, and he's racing for pinks. Yeah. Racing for pinks. Yeah. And one thing that I will say about, about Bobby's line about, you know, ruin that surprise, why don't you, it is, it is absolutely something that a, a, you know, an abuser would do. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is a classic moment of just sort of like, oh, you're ruining my surprise. You're stealing my thunder here, and you don't mm-hmm. understand. You're wrong about this. Like, this is what I was clearly going to do. And it's just like... That is so classic, and yet it, again, it's not done in sort of this like I'm, you know, we're we're beating you over the head with this behavior. Mm-hmm. It's just done in a very honest, genuine way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, the racing for pinks thing comes up. Yeah, so finally we get to a point where Cheryl says, "Stop it, Cam. I believe. Yeah, I believe Bob." And then finally, Sam just knee jerk reaction just finally reacts to what Al says, like race you for pinks, and everybody cracks up laughing. And so they, they're, and I realized, like, watching the episode this time, like, so they're going to be racing for pinks the day of the wedding? Huh. I, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm assuming, what, like, what no, they're, they're, they're doing it underpass at noon the next day, and then I, I assume the wedding is at night? No, technically it's the day before the wedding, because the wedding date has been said before is June 9th, and this would have been the 7th, because it's the day So they're having the, the wedding rehearsal. The tail of the cock is a very big place, a very busy place, and I'm sure they had something else in there. With a name like that, it's getting a lot of action. What can you say? Mm -hmm. Um, So, so yeah, so the next day... Which, by the way, racing for pinks, I had no idea what that was. Yeah. And you were not explaining it to me well, and I realized they're talking about, like, the title of the car, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, well, yes, for listeners that are completely unaware, yeah, the pink slip is the title of the car, so you're, you're basically wagering your car against their car to see who would win. It was a fairly common practice. You know, now, just, um, just think about it, I realize, like, when I was a kid watching this episode, I knew totally what racing for pizza yeah. meant. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. I actually, it's funny, I actually had a computer game uh, for the PC uh, that was a drag racing game, and it was set in, like, the 60s, and so all the cars were, like, you know, period-specific cars, and you raced for pink slips, and you built your, you know, your mm-hmm. your garage of cars together and all this sort of stuff. It had, like, a, a sort of a story to it or whatever. And again, clearly with my dad, this is something that my dad had done, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had, he had a, a 65 Mustang, a, you know, 67 GTX, a 69 Challenger. I mean, he, he, had, he had his own little stable of cars there mm-hmm. for a while. Um, and, and, and used to race cars and, you know, obviously something like this makes me think of American graffiti or, mm. you know, uh, even Greece, things like that, where, mm-hmm. where this is obviously embedded in that culture. Yeah. Speaking of Greece, watching Greece in 4k, ultra <laughs> HD, that, that, yeah, I'm 38 years old and I still look younger than the actors <laughs> in Greece. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Dr. Channing is not 17 years old. No. <laughs> no, but still a very attractive woman. God love her. Uh, not awesome. as attractive as she was in the West Wing, but that's a whole other... That is a whole other... A whole other that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's the Fate's Wide Wheel Network West Wing podcast. There, coming, in, <laughs> coming in 2018. Coming, yeah. 2018, um, <laughs> yes, After the Rockford Files podcast. And, yes. And they, anyway, uh, so, they, so they agree to race for Pinks, and now Al and Sam go off and so Sam was like why why are we racing for pinks and Al presents his idea that 
you know, people like Bobby are, are always in control. You can't shake him. But if he loses to a hunk of junk like the Mobile, Cheryl, I think he says, the Cheryl will see the monster behind that pretty boy mask. Yeah. I would argue that if she has bruises on her, she's already Bruce, started to yeah. see yeah. the monster. But in an hour of television, what are you going to do? Right, right. Um, well, but, well, you know, it is true. it's publicly revealed, then she can't deny it anymore to herself. Mm. And I do think that there are, the you know, that this is certainly not true for everyone, but I do think there are some people that find themselves in an abusive relationship if they see their abuser hurt someone else or take out their anger on someone else, that that can be a wake-up call. It becomes another thing. Yeah. Um, so, and then he also, Al also provides us with this wonderful uh, moment of uh, nitrous oxide, mm-hmm. you know, of, of like, this is how you're going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But with the with the warning that if you inject too much, you'll go kablooey. You'll go up. <laughs> so I was looking, before we, before we record, I was, uh, you were upstairs getting drinks, and I was telling Jessica, like, I was looking up, like, how easy was it to obtain yeah. nitrous oxide? Like, then and now, and I couldn't find that out. But do you know who uh, nitrous oxide was first created by? No, a Joseph Priestley. Really? No. In way. 1772. Huh. Wow! <laughs> wow! I wonder if there's any relation. Uh, a great, great, great grandfather. Uh, great. What, who knows? But anyway, so so we. How does yeah? How does sixteen-year-old boy or however old he is afford and find? We are living in a time when a garage scientist can get plutonium. <laughs> right, right, yeah. We didn't find it on eBay. That's I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I think. He contacted the Dibians. It was enough. <laughs> nice. In Los nice. Angeles, California. How many Back That Future references can we get into this episode? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah I, you know, I, I think, and this is just me, you know, making stuff up, but I do think that because it was not completely unknown or foreign that this was something you could use to mm-hmm. make a car faster, that, again, Jill and he being the, you know, the car nuts that they are, probably knew a guy who knew a guy or something like that, maybe. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe it's complete BS, and there's no way they could have procured this tank mm-hmm. of nitrous, but mm-hmm. but they do. Yeah. Um, so we have this very brief scene of, of Cam and Jill installing, installing, the, yeah. installing the thing in the thing and leaks out there's a leak get, and they, they, they laugh they a laughing fit yeah which is great because while they're laughing they're laughing about the fact that if he screws it up <laughs> it'll <laughs> blow him up yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> um, and Jess asked me she's like does it really do that and I was like yeah it really does actually mm. yeah, do well, that yeah. yeah so so now we get to the to the day of the race yeah or, 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 oh which is my favorite line of the episode. Oh, what, when they show up, I think it's Bobby that says, <laughs> "Didn't think you had the ganachos to show up." <laughs> no, it's, it's pencil. It's Jason Pencil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did not get the ganachos. The ganachos to show. Where'd you pick, man? Where'd you pick? Yeah, that was a good oh, one. Ganachos. I'd like to use that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, uh, I realized like watching this episode this last time, Jason Priestley as pencil reminds me of one of my middle school bully tormentors. Oh, God. And you know what? My 20-year high school reunion was three weeks ago. Yeah. And I saw him there. How's that guy doing? I won. <laughs> that's all. That's all. That's all I'm gonna say. That's good. I won. That is. That is good. Anyway, uh, so this is my favorite line of the episode. You're asking how many Back to the Future references we can squeeze into this one. Yeah. So, so Jill, 
or, or, or Sam nudges Jill out of the car because yeah. she wants to race with him. And he's like, there's a really kind of nice moment where he reaches over to right. do the dough for, and you can kind of just tell that the, 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 you know, little, Jill is very much like, yeah, you know, there's a little oh, tension there. Yeah, yeah. And so Sam calls over and he's like, because uh, Cheryl's riding in the car with Bobby, yeah. he's like, I'm going to race with her. And he's like, no, Cheryl does it or not. Oh, I know where you're going now. Yeah. And then Sam goes, you chicken to race alone. And that's when Bobby has his Marty McFly moment. Yeah. When the word chicken triggers him, get out of the get car. Out, get out of the car. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, and then, uh, so yeah. and then the, the So race. Cheryl gets out of the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pencil starts the race. Um, Bobby's clearly winning. He's got the nicer car. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, Sam wants to punch the nitrous. And Al is like, not yet, not yet. You know, you, we you usually, peak yeah. too soon. And this, this continues the tradition in the first season of Al showing up about two minutes after the climatic scene starts. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was very reminiscent of the first episode when he was in the plane. Same thing, too. Like, if you don't do it exactly right, like, it'll blow up mm-hmm. or, and you will die. And yeah. so it was very, and he's showing up after he's already started and punching the gas. And mm-hmm. right. it's very similar. But then so, he does, so he punches it. And the thing is, uh, an hour of television, there's only so much you can do. For all the, the setup they did of like threatening to blow up, like we oh. don't, we don't see a gauge. There's, right. there, no. There, there's, there's no, no fear of there, it. There's, there's no moment of suspense in this scene of like, are we going to hit that threshold? Right. Yeah. Are we going to hit 88 miles per hour? Right. Right. It does feel, yeah. There, there. I, I will admit that even as I was rewatching the episode, I, I did have a moment of like, is there not going to be a is it not going to be like, a, oh, turn it off now? Or, mm-hmm. you know, there, you're right. There's there's nothing. Um, not that it, ultimately it doesn't matter. Uh, mm-hmm. Sam wins the race. Um, gets the pink slip. Is, you know, super happy. Gets out of his car. Is walking They're over. celebrating. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we see Bobby. And Bobby is just livid. Mm-hmm. He's driving his car back. He sees Sam standing there. And all of a sudden he punches it. Mm-hmm. And is getting ready to literally run down mm-hmm. Sam mm-hmm. slash Cam. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl sees this. Yeah. You know, get out of the way. And this is for ramming his car into the pole at a pretty good speed. Yeah. He recovers pretty. He just hops <laughs> right out. He's ready yeah. to go. I, I would have loved to see an alternate take where he just rams into the pole. And he just his ass is just knocked out right. behind the wheel. <laughs> and everybody's standing around like, oh well. Well, that was dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Looked like that hurt. Uh, but 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 yeah he so he does he gets out of the car and he's you know he's threatening and uh, uh, and then Cheryl you know is like what are you doing you tried to kill him I can't believe this you know mm-hmm. this is over uh, he grabs a hold of her Sam no baby you're coming with me yeah and in one of the iconic Sam shots, has his has his Dukes of Hazard moment yeah where he jumps across the back of the car, slides, slides across, across yeah. the back of the car and then punches. Bob right in the face, lays him out, and it is it's, George it's, McFly moment, and it is another one of those iconic moments because it's used in the credits, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout the entire run of the series, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it and yeah, so he runs over, he punches him in the face, um, and you know, saves Cheryl, uh, and then Bobby tells the the Apollo to get him, yeah, which this is one of my other favorite moments. He goes, "That was definitely an uncool move." Yeah, and it's like, oh, now you're <laughs> talking about what's cigarette. uncool. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's a little they, more than uncool. And one thing I will say, because this is his last his last moment in the show, uh, I found it very interesting, and it's mentioned in uh, Matt Dale's very very helpful book, Beyond the Mirror Image: The Observer's Guide to Quantum Leap. Available hey, on Lulu. Hi. <laughs> uh, we definitely want to have you on the show sometime soon. Talk about the book and episodes. 
that are your favorites. Anyway, uh, in the book, he mentions that Scott Bakula actually um, went home to his wife and commented on how uh, you know this Jason Priestley kid has, has clearly got it. He's going to be something. Although I do find it kind of amusing that, that what he apparently said in quotes was, "He's going to be the next Eric Roberts." Who the hell is Eric Roberts? <laughs> 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 um, what? Come on, you know he. Uh, well, first of all, for our Doctor Who fans out there, he plays a version of who gave you the right to go bumbling around in time, but you like what I did wrong. He was an actor. Yeah, he's an actor. He is an actor. So um, they're saying that guy's gonna be the next, you know, Brad Pitt is basically. Yeah, yeah, person. exactly, exactly. Only in this case, for whatever reason, the name that was used was Eric Roberts. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, yeah, but he's done a lot of things. He's actually in The Dark Knight. He, you know, he's he's. he's oh been yeah. Around. Okay. He's yeah. been around for quite yeah for quite a while, and he is actually the brother of Julia Roberts. So there is there is indeed oh. a relationship. What is there. Yeah, what uh, we're looking at his picture on IMDb now. Um, I'm sure if you saw him, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, he, he, he is one of those people, like, anytime he pops up on screen, I automatically have this icky feeling <laughs> towards whatever character he is playing, because sure. that is the character that he always... And he's always working. I mean, he's a guy that just shows up in, in, in all sorts of things. I mean, television, film, you know, all over the place. You, you name it, he's done it. Um, you know, and he's been around for quite a while. I mean, his first... His first credit on IMDb is from 1964, actually. Uh, but it looks like he didn't really get started until uh, about 1978, 1980, somewhere through there. But yeah, did, did a ton of stuff. Uh, so yeah, it is worth noting, though, that in such a small role, I feel like he does actually... There is something about him where you just sort of like, oh, that guy, mm-hmm. you know. Um, when did uh, Beverly Hills 90210 Gosh, it would have been soon after this, I think, actually. This, yeah. um, I, I, I don't know exactly, but it would have been... I believe it would have been soon after. Sometime after that, yeah. So, so after this, then we cut to... Well, one, we get one Yeah, final, 1990, sorry. Oh, my God. So we get one final arm punch at the end of the oh, scene. Oh, yeah. Jill runs over, punches him in the arm. Sam has the, the reaction to it. Right, where it's like clearly like he's probably got a bruise on his arm and now. It's so, like, so just punching the bruise. And so we have this nice little shot of, of Sam as Cam and Cheryl and, yeah. and Jill just standing together. And we're talking about earlier, like, how they set up the world uh, so well in every episode in this first season. They don't really have much of a chance to explore the world. I feel like a lot of episodes in the first season, they could have a spinoff series. Like, I could, I could, oh, yeah. I could, I could see a spinoff series with Cam yeah. and Jill. Or better yet... I don't, it wouldn't have lasted, <laughs> but I, I could see them giving it a shot. Better yet, something that... You know, not to get into any spoilers, really does not happen, um, with a couple of rare exceptions. Even better yet, I would have loved to have seen <coughs> Sam leap back in at some point. A couple mm-hmm. seasons down the road, maybe Cheryl's back from the Peace Corps now. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it would have been kind of cool to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even if, you know, and this is a, a conceit that was never, ever conceptualized for the show, but, you know, it almost would have been cool if every once in a while, like maybe, you know, season three, season four, if they did this thing where sometimes when Sam's bouncing around in time, every once in a while you get this leap in, and, and obviously production-wise, credit, you know, paying mm-hmm. actors, etc., it would not have been possible, but but just to have like a teaser scene where it's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, Sam has leapt back into 
you know, uh, uh, Cam all of a sudden, but it's 1970, and mm-hmm. Cheryl's getting married to the right guy, and, you know, Cam has to give another speech, and he gives a quick speech, and then he leaps out, and now we're into the episode proper. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Stuff like sure. that. Like, oh, well, yeah, that, that would have been kind of neat, you know? Been, yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, our next scene is, is, is Sam walking Cheryl through the yeah. airport. So here's... Now, here is why I think Cheryl has issues. Uh-oh. And she wound up in a relationship with someone like Bob <laughs> in the first place. She is going to the Peace Corps. She is leaving the country. She is leaving the country for the, a long time. Where the hell are her parents? <laughs> <laughs> why is it only Cam there to see her off? Yeah. Well, now, production, yeah. whatever, seeing blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But watch it the side of where the hell are her parents? Right, because you could have had them say goodbye, and then they walk away, or they take a step back. They could have been there. Sure. It wouldn't have been that hard to still have the moment. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's not a good enough excuse to not, just because you didn't want to film it or whatever. They could have been there. Sure. But we do get get a really nice moment between the two of them, and clearly Cheryl has, you know, her doubts. She's a little like, ah, you know... And, you know, it's the right thing. Am I going to do this? And you know, and again, Sam is very much about lifting her up and empowering her. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really, really great. And and it's you know, it's it's in my opinion, it's better than any possible outcome that Cheryl is going to do this on her own. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. that this young woman in 1961 is going off to Tonga and the Peace mm-hmm. Corps, and she's going to do this thing. And it's you know, it's just it's just a really great moment. And and. Um, uh, it's played well by both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Jess, about this feeling that it's sort of like um, not just Cam and Cheryl, but Sam and Katie. Mm-hmm. You know, Sam has yeah. kind of set that up in a way. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 just a really nice thing. And then of course, uh, Cheryl has that line of dialogue about um, the fact that uh, 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 that she has a surprise. Uh, waiting, waiting in the courtyard. Yeah, yeah. waiting in the mm-hmm. courtyard. Oh, um, I forgot what it was already. Oh, well, this is when I showed up earlier and you had to yeah. run upstairs. To oh, so I missed it. I'll be a surprise. So, yeah, so, so we get out in the courtyard and before we have the surprise, Sam and Al have this 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 nice little scene where... We're singing the Everly Brothers, Let uh, It Be Me. Yeah, Let It Be Me. Uh, Al shows a picture to to Sam that he oh, picked up both a car, oh, yeah. both a car and a woman. He said a really gross because there's yeah. a woman on a bikini. She offered to wax my hood. Ugh, yeah, that's really gross. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Al is yeah. You know, look, I love Al. I love Al, but yeah, he, mm-hmm. he says even the some phrasing gross of that is yucky. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. But they're singing Let It Be Me. It's a really nice moment. Again, it, it kind of goes back into what you were talking about earlier when they're in the bathroom together, mm. about how that relationship just kind of feels dialed in. Um, and then, of course, we see the surprise. Yeah. Well, first, he reveals that, that Cheryl went oh, on. Like, yeah. she, she had a lifetime commitment to the Peace Corps with her new husband. The, you know, like, they, they're organizing uh, a food cooperative in, in Chad. Yeah, mm. right, right. And to go back, to jump back to the color of truth, um, I feel like in the, the, the first season... Like they, they felt this need. I don't know if I don't know if crutch is the right word, but like everything turned out so well for everyone. Like color of truth, Jesse is still alive in our time. He's right. hundred years old. Cheryl, she's still in the Peace Corps. Yeah. Like fully lean into it. And you know it is that is a really good point to bring up because one of the things that will happen, you know, without any spoilers, is that there are indeed later on some moments where Al will say blah 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 happens and it's not a good thing and then he follows it up with but 
mm-hmm. you know, and, but or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it is. It is interesting. You're right. And and again, yeah. I think. Or meanwhile, the, the, between, the, the couple episodes of Double Identity where the 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 person Sam leaps into in the last part of the episode. Oh, right. He's gonna he's die. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. He he gets knocked off by the Carluccis in April. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Probably best for everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then the surprise shows up, and the surprise is Jill, Jill. Oh. no longer dressed like a tomboy. No, she's got her hair down. Oh, she's man. wearing a dress. She's got makeup on. She's got eyelashes. Eyelashes, yeah. Like, which is for miles. <coughs> excuse me. Which is great though, because she even talks about how she hates the eyelashes, and you know, it's like your sister made me put them on. Mm-hmm. Um, they have this really cute moment, and you know, and Jill is struggling to kind of get out the fact that she you know wants Cam to be her boyfriend mm. I think she even says something at first boyfriend point. Yeah. right but she says something uh, that what is, what does she call basically him? like she doesn't call like him boyfriend she calls him something else guy friend real guy friend yeah my first real guy friend uh-huh. yeah and it's just really cute uh, and then um, and then she's even thinking I, I, lo- I, I love the fact that she says first guy friend yeah. Because it just kind of acknowledges, like, like the impermanence of teenage love. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure. Uh, and well, and then she has this great moment where, like, she's she's basically doesn't really like the lipstick. She's like wiping it off. She doesn't put it all over him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and, and yeah. So this is a moment you we kind of touched on this. Like you're watching yes. the scene as I was watching this episode a few weeks ago with. Betsy, like, she walked in through this, so she was only kind of, like, half-tuned in the episode. And, like, all right, so here's the situation. You're a 30-something-year-old man, and you're put in this situation where you need to kiss a teenage girl. Yeah. Young teenage girl. A young teenage girl. Is it gross? Yes. And she's, like... And she took it wrong. She's, like, well, what's the circumstance? Because, like... Because then we watch the end of the episode, and they kiss, and... She, Jill really gets into it. They go for it, and then Sam leaps out. So Betsy was like, "Well, if they kiss, and the guy that Sam leaped into doesn't feel about her the way that 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 Sam is kissing her, like she's going to be all confused and everything." Yes. I'm After happy. the fact, I'm like, "Well, like, well, like, no, like they, they establish like they have a crush on each other now, and and so like Sam is doing something to progress the relationship of the guy he leaped into and this girl." And then she was like, all right, yeah, go ahead and do it. And she, she very much has the same reaction where, like, there's even this moment where Sam looks over to Al and he's like, eh? Is eh? this legal? Yeah, and, and Sam's like, and, and he gives a shrug. And, it, and it, it, you know, it, it conveys a lot in a little moment, like, yeah, this is kind of skeevy, but th- this is what you do. It wouldn't have been yeah. so bad if it was, like, one of those first kiss kind of things where you're like, you don't really know what you're doing, and it was, like, just a peck, but, like, she really gets into it and... I don't know, just even watching it, I was like, oh, this is two actors. Like, that would be, I think, would be kind of uncomfortable for the act. The girl clearly didn't seem to mind, but, I mean, at least she played it that way. Who knows? I mean, but, she was. But it's a thing, like, yeah, even so, like, even, like, by today's more sensitive, ni- or 2017 sensibilities, like, I'm not... Yeah, it yeah. doesn't bother me. It really doesn't. I mm. I, 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 I get exactly where you're 13. coming from. I know. Six, no, no, 16. I think yeah, but I think the, the actor's actor, though. 13, oh, the 12! Uh, okay. If if IMDB is to be believed, yeah. Her age. Well, I remember reading a thing in the trivia where where the actor said after the fact, like your acting career is all downhill after like because this is one of her first gigs where she's 
you kiss Scott Bakula, then it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if she was 16 or 15... Yeah, then it, then that's not so bad. But I can't believe she was twelve. Th- I just I mean, can't believe that. I was still playing with dolls when true. I was twelve. So mm-hmm. like, but I mean, I guess kids are doing all sorts of things. But but anyway, it, it's a moment that could have potentially been gross. It could I don't be know. maybe because Ma- I maybe missed as, as the a guy, I can't. Yeah, all I saw was the kissing, and I was grossed out. Not Got grossed it. out, but I I was like, oh, really? That's the choice they're making? I would have thought it would have been better to have seen, and that we don't ever see it like this, a, a quick peck, and then the teenage boy leaps in, and now he's kissing her. Mm. I think that, and you almost see, like, a look on his face like, whoa, oh, okay, this yeah. is great. Like, I yeah. would have liked that moment more. Like to have seen that instead mm-hmm. of. That's, yeah. That's, uh, I, that's fair. That's that, fair. That's a fair point. Um, and, and this is a diversion that I, I'm... Feel free to, to edit out later on. But have you read or seen The Time Traveler's Wife? Yes. Have you read it? Yes, I have read it. The, I, you're right. I know what you're talking the, about. The, there is a scene. I don't know if, if you've read it or, or seen it. I have not, actually. There, there is a scene later on in the book that was not in the movie. And I can completely understand why. Because on the page, it works. Right. On screen, right. it would have been it's the same so, kind of a thing. It would have been so <laughs> difficult to do, and for it not to appear extremely gross, right? Because it's a she's very young. She she is. I mean, I, I think she's just turned eighteen. Oh, he's so that's not so bad, but he is older and, and he's, much older, and he's in his forties. And basically, she seduces right him because she knows that she's married to him in the future. She's not there yet. He has just come from his wife, which is her. Mm-hmm. So it makes yeah, you're right. Reading it, you don't feel mm-hmm. grossed out. It, it does feel very sensitive, but I could see how watching it, you'd be like, Ooh. yeah, waiting for the movie to come out. I'm like, yeah, that scene is not. I haven't good. seen the movie. That so. scene is not. <laughs> um, and this is a whole diversion edit out. No, I, I think I, this I, is I, important. I actually. think the movie ends on a more hopeful note. Okay. Than the book. Oh, the book is devastating. I mean, it the over like overall the overarching story mm-hmm. it ends the same way. Okay. But where they leave the characters. Gotcha. At the end, um, and I'll jump ahead and I'll go ahead and spoil it. Um, the way the movie ends is the last scene is like they jump to two years after his death. Uh-huh. And, the book does that, right? Because uh, the little girl is at the museum or whatever. No, 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 no. But not, not in the way they do it in the movie. Okay. So in the movie, like the very last scene is they jump to two years after his death. Okay. And um, uh, their Alba and Gomez's kids, they're all playing in the meadow. Okay. And, uh-huh. and Henry comes walking out and Uh he's wearing clothes and Uh he's surprised that there were clothes waiting for him Uh because this is two years after his death. Right. And so uh, Gomez's kids, they run back to the house to get Claire. Uh Uh-huh. And so while they're doing that, Alba says, Daddy, tell me the story of how you and Mommy met. Right. And so... And so over this, they're cutting, like, Gomez's kids running back and Claire uh-huh. getting the word that Henry's out in the meadow. Right. Her running out, intercut with flashbacks of her as a kid running out the meadow to meet him. Gotcha, interesting. And she gets to the meadow, and and, and Henry's like, like, you had clothes waiting for me. Like, why? And, and she was like, because I never know when you might come again. And he's right. like, I never want you to wait for me. Uh, I want you to live your life. Huh. And, and so they have this moment where they get just enough time to kiss and then he disappears. Right. And then 
she folds the clothes back up and she puts them away uh, and then her and okay. her and Alba walk away but it's like this hopeful moment of right like she can move on where yeah um, whereas a, a friend of mine she read the book and she initially loved it mm-hmm. but then a few weeks later she came back around she's like she hated it <laughs> because intentional or not the way the book ends Henry manipulates her into waiting the rest of her life. Right. Is she old when... Because she's old when yeah. he shows up the one by, last by, time. Yeah. By, by telling her that... Right. He inadvertently manipulates her mm. into waiting the rest of her life for him to show up one more time. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I could see how that would be upsetting. Yeah. I don't know if it bothered me, and I don't know if maybe if I thought about it more, maybe it would, but... Mm-hmm. Anyway... Well, back to... No, no, no let's oh, leave yeah. that in. Let's leave oh, that yeah. in. I think that's important. Because, you know, here's the thing. Time Traveler's Wife is one of those things that I, I feel like there are a lot of Quantum Leap fans mm-hmm. that really enjoy that book, gravitated towards that book. I mean, mm-hmm. it's something that I was interested in. I just never got around to reading it. And especially um, if you live in Chicago. Yeah. It is yeah. part of love letter to Chicago. I definitely... I, I, I need to, I need to, I need to check like it. it out. Um, so, uh, but back to Kamikaze Kid. Uh, I, I think that, yeah. you know, the, the, the kiss happens, Sam leaps out. And then um, he is standing, uh, you know, kind of in an office, uh, wearing a suit. You get the you get the sense right away. It feels very sort of like film noir detective mm-hmm. movie yeah. kind of I mean, thing. Yeah, just from the music. Yeah. Yeah, and then the pan down shows a guy with bullet holes in his back. There's blood. even smoke. Yeah, there's yeah. smoke curling up. Yeah, and then you pan back up. You see Sam holding a gun, and mm-hmm. Sam says, "Oh boy, you know, we're kind of getting into the pattern," you know. Uh, and then that's that. I feel like the endings always, ha- and, and the openings have a really funny moment where you could tell he's like, okay, I'm supposed to freeze because I know they're going to edit this in and freeze and oh, freeze sure. And they just don't cut it tight enough so you could just see him like kind of waiting, knowing that it's going to be edited in post. And I just wish they would kind of cut them a little tighter so it's not this sort of like awkward. I think they get better at that, honestly. And it's funny that you mentioned that because there are some episodes, and I, I probably coming up in season two, there are actually some episodes where the leap in is not so still. Mm-hmm. Like, he leaps in and there's something and happening. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, like, you know, he's moving right. or he's a little off balance even when he leaps in. But you're right. In this he always case, freezes. In this case, it's it very much... It's almost like the transporter effect in, you know, early Star Trek in the original mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. Where it's literally like, you know, they're... Okay, we have to hold now frozen, so they frozen, can... Frozen. Yeah, exactly. Um, but next... So next episode, we'll talk about Play It Again, Seymour, which is actually the season one finale. Uh, interesting note, um, we've not talked a lot about ratings and that sort of stuff, but I do think that now is the perfect time to do that because while things started off pretty well with Genesis and even Starcrossed, they dipped down pretty quickly after that. Um, and Right Hand of God, How the Test Was Won, Double Identity were all fairly low rated episodes mm-hmm. uh, to the point that there was concern as to whether or not there would even be a second season. Oh, yeah. And Scott Bakula, you know, has even been quoted as saying that, uh, you know, it was frustrating because, you know, they put all this work in and the truth of the matter is, is that the renewal was, was hinging on two weeks, two Wednesday nights. Uh, and it just so happened that those two Wednesday nights were Color of Truth and Kamikaze Kid. Color of Truth did well. It wasn't the highest rated episode of the season. That was still Genesis. However, the second highest rated episode was Kamikaze Kid. And Kamikaze Kid actually stands as one of the top five highest rated episodes in the history of the show. Wow. So, and a lot of that is attributed to the fact that Color of Truth did so well critically and generated so much buzz mm-hmm. that everybody People tuned in the show to see Kamikaze Kid. Um, 
So it's it's interesting to note that yeah they were kind of on the bubble and that Kamikaze Kid in particular I think really kind of helped propel them to get that second season. Uh, it's worth noting, and we'll talk a little bit more about this as we go along. But it is worth noting that after this, the ratings were pretty good. They were decent. They were good enough for the show to keep going for the next few seasons anyway, without any threat mm-hmm. of cancellation. Like there was no threat of cancellation in season two. There was no threat of cancellation in season three. You know, once you got around to season four, there was, but. No, they were canceled halfway through the third season. And a huge letter-writing campaign no. brought the show back. Yeah. I, no way. Yeah. No, I, I remember um, I remember that very specifically. Um, um, me and Mrs. Pringle, my seventh-grade English <laughs> teacher, consoling one another. By the way, Mrs. Pringle, who let me bring in the Halloween episode and show it to the entire class on Halloween Day. Uh, <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, like, the, the show was yanked off the air. Wow. Um, in the middle of the third season and it was off for several weeks and there was a huge letter writing campaign and there was actually a commercial of an actor playing the president of NBC um, basically having like all these letters poured over his head and his <laughs> desk and basically like basically I mean, like we made a mistake we're bringing Quan Lee back wow for how much longer uh, and then it lasted another two and a half seasons okay oh yeah it was no Littlefield himself appeared on TV oh what, um, was it was he actually was president Littlefield yeah it was mm-hmm. actually him so anyway so I was completely wrong about that uh, but, but that being said, Kamikaze Kid definitely went a long way to making sure that there was a season two. Um, I think that, uh, to wrap up for me, um, it, it, it's, you know, it's a very strong episode. It's, mm-hmm. it's certainly an episode that I think if I were to, you know, to, to put together a list or put together episodes to show people that weren't necessarily like, um, well, no, I mean, even, even this episode could technically be considered a little bit of a mythology episode considering the background we get about Katie and, and what mm-hmm. it does for Sam. So I think that, yeah, it's a strong episode. It's an important episode. Um, you know, it's very well done. It doesn't belabor the point that this is about domestic abuse or, you know, anything like that. It, it, it just happens to be a circumstance that the, you know, that the characters are in. So, um, yeah, there's not much more to say about it. I know that we've talked a little bit more than I think I expected us to initially. Mm-hmm. I thought that we probably kind of, it would be a shorter podcast yeah i think it's going to be kind of our standard length yeah this episode um, went very smooth but 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 ultimately <laughs> right yeah but ultimately i think that uh um yeah it, it's 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 a good episode and and i think that it's probably um you know color of truth aside it, it could very well be the strongest episode of season one um you know certainly up there the strongest episode of season one yeah Accepting Color of Truth. I'm not, I'm not including Color of Truth in that. Color of Truth is the best episode of season one, without a doubt. Are we counting the pilot or not? Yes. I would, I, I would say pilot, Color of Truth, Kamikaze Kid. Yeah, I can get behind... Well, no, Color of Truth goes before... The, color of Truth is better than the pilot. I think you have to have the pilot, don't get me wrong. Like, you couldn't just watch Color of Truth. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I think you could, but I think Color of Truth is, again, I think Color of Truth is a great episode of television. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would consider Genesis a great episode of television. It's really good, mm-hmm. and it's and it's good Quantum Leap, mm-hmm. and it's better than anything else in season one, with the exception of Color of Truth. That's my I, I guess any, like, from, like, a standalone episode of just, like, sitting someone down, like, here, watch this hour of television. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. All right. Jessica, final thoughts? liked it. It probably wasn't my favorite. Um, I think I almost like Double Identity better. I think it was a little more fun than this one. Sure, I can see um, that. But yeah, it felt like a solid story. 
Uh, yeah. Good, good, good episode. Yes. All right. Do you have anything Fa- else? Fantastic. No, I, I think we, we, we kind of sum it up. It's, um, and like I said at the beginning of the episode, they managed to keep it pretty light for an episode about... Right, right. ...about domestic abuse. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are my thoughts. I agree. Well... Um, I think that that about does it here at Project Quantum Leap. I can certainly say that I am very happy that we made it through this episode without any um, thing going wrong. Or um, or... Considering that you said boogeyman multiple times. Boogeyman, 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 boogeyman. Uh, we're very lucky that we've not been visited by said boogeyman. I can only hope that when I go to edit this episode that everything is there. Everything is just fine. Uh, that you haven't yeah. fried our, our, our mic here. Uh-huh. Um, but we want to thank everyone for listening and please want to say again and encourage everyone please uh, you know give us some feedback give us some comments we're, we're really we're hungry for it at this point uh, we'd love to open up a dialogue with our listeners so um, uh, quite especially if, if you um, if you are either a podcaster or if you even have the setup to uh, to, to chime in and be able to like patch into an episode uh, as to be a guest host uh, and talk with us we would love to yeah we you know we I, I think that going into season two especially uh you know, we're about to wrap up season one, and uh, we'll we'll do a play it again, see more episode, and then we'll do like a season one recap episode. But then after that, we're gonna dive into season two, and I think we would both love for there to be uh, some of you out there who are listening uh, as guests um, to to come in and you know participate. Uh, we, we we definitely want your feedback, whether you know you have good things to say or you have negative things to say, criticisms, uh, compliments, whatever the case may be. We're really um, eager to, to get that feedback. So uh, drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter uh, or Instagram. Um, you know, visit our visit our website. Um, you know where to find us, and it's obviously going to be mentioned in the tag. But uh, yeah, so we hope to hear from you guys soon, and uh, we hope to have uh, some of you out there on soon for uh, some season two episodes. Yeah. All right, happy Halloween, everybody. Yes, happy indeed. <laughs> Take care, everybody. All right. to go bungling around in time putting right what I made wrong just trying to get home where you're not
ございます。